Welcome back everybody to Recipe for Disaster. I'm Jordan. And I'm Rachel. And we are here once again for our second episode ever. First episode was so much fun we thought we'd do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm going to show Rachel a formative movie from my childhood. And she is going to make some kind of a delicious, somewhat healthy snack. Mm -hmm. Is that Sugar a good way to describe free. it? Sugar, Sugar free. free. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Sugar free, that works as a dessert. Sugar free dessert today. And all together, that is a recipe for disaster. So, Rachel, tell me about what it is that you're making for us today. So, I made a um, sugar-free salted caramel cheesecake with erythritol. It was supposed to be a caramel swirl cheesecake. The aesthetics did oh not God. work out on it. That looks amazing. That's salted caramel cheesecake, right? Mm-hmm. And it's where I've got a sugar-free uh, whipped cream to go on top of it because it is not visually pleasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the most uh, attractive looking thing, but we'll, uh, we'll have pictures up for you guys anyway. I'm sure it's going to taste delicious. But, uh, you know, I meant to ask you this last week, and I forgot um, while we were on the air, but what is erythritol? Erythritol is a sugar alcohol, kind of like mal uh, malitol, xylitol, the stuff that's in gums. So, like, for somebody like me, who's a big dum-dum, and doesn't know what any of those talls are, malitol, any of that, what, what is that stuff? I was just describing it <laughs> before you asked the question. Hmm. Um, when I said... <laughs> That it's what's in gum, like chewing gum. Oh. That's what it is. Um, but erythritol is, according to studies, a little bit uh, safer. Um, okay. But it, like, keeps your teeth from decaying and is mostly... The other thing is it doesn't cause as much, like, gastrointestinal upset because 90% of it is excreted in your urine. That's definitely important for me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's sweet, <laughs> and it doesn't have the bitter aftertaste of stevia, yeah. and it gives your recipes bulk, bulk like real sugar does. Yeah, I have noticed in the other things that you've made that there isn't, like, because, yeah, with stevia or truvia or some of these others, like, there is definitely, like, some kind of an aftertaste that comes in. It's almost like a like a tang or something I can't really describe. It's kind of bitter. Yeah, a little bit bitter, but... Um, yeah, erythritol definitely avoids that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, is, is there a benefit other than taste as far as erythritol goes in choosing this over stevia or trivia or something different? Well, I said earlier that it adds bulk to your recipe like real sugars. Gotcha. Rather than, because stevia doesn't have much bulk, and so a lot of times your baked goods come out kind of dry. Okay, so it can be a texture thing too, uh -huh. like you were saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So, as far as this, uh, so this thing... Yeah, it doesn't look as good as the cupcakes from last week, but I'm still, like, itching to eat some of it. But at the same time, I've got to be patient because I want to ask you a little bit more about it. Okay, well, I've got a salted caramel to go on top of it. Okay. Um, made with, and it's sugar-free. Um, it doesn't look like your traditional salted caramel, but it tastes pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. That does look a little appetizing to me. Oh good. I'm glad it was a little appetizing. <laughs> a little appetizing. Uh, so how did you how did you make this? Like what's the uh, what's the process? The process is pretty similar to a regular cheesecake. 
Um, what's really interesting is I made the crust from pecans and almond flour and butter and a little bit of powdered erythritol. Mm. Um, so that's different than your graham cracker crust with butter when it comes to a cheesecake. Yeah. Um, I also, um, it's basically the same, like a cheesecake base, like beat your cream cheese until it's smooth and add your eggs and your vanilla and, uh, and some cream to give it lightness. Um, and it, I mean, it's kind of the same process. You bake the crust, you pour the, the cream cheese mixture over it, you bake it. This took a long time to bake. This was like an hour and a half bake. Hour and a half. And how long did it set after that? Um, I s did something you're not supposed to do with cheesecakes <laughs> and set it um, in the freezer for an hour and a half. Hour and a half. And why are you not supposed to do that? Um, the texture will be much better if you leave it overnight, but uh, um, I didn't plan ahead. <laughs> yeah, we just want to get into this, don't we? Yeah. We just, um, I didn't even... I just It slipped my mind this time. But I would suggest doing this recipe um, that you do it a night ahead of time. Okay. Um, and the texture will be a little bit better. Also... Oh, it's so hard to do that, though, because I just like... I want to just dig into it like those chocolate chips. We had this bag of chocolate chips oh, no. it was sitting in the freezer. The chocolate chips. Um, we got this big bag from Costco and we thought this will be great and you know it's in there and it's not going to tempt me mm. because they're so small. We didn't think this. Oh, I thought this. <laughs> yeah. I tried to lump Rachel into it to ease my guilt but what really happened was that uh, you know by the end of the week I'm shoveling handfuls of chocolate, chocolate chips. chips into my face. Uh, so yeah no more buying chocolate chips from Costco. Um, but I, I imagine that would be the same with the cheesecake just sitting in there. Like, there's no way I'd be able to wait 24 hours knowing that it's in there. Oh, yeah. Well, you've done it before. I've made your birthday cheesecake 24 hours before. Yeah. I should mention, too, the cheesecake is one of my favorite desserts. I've never had a sugar-free one, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but, yeah, Rachel makes me a, a special cheesecake every year on my birthday, and I... Oh my god, I, I look forward to it just for that. I don't even care about my birthday at all. I just want the cheesecake. Jordan has told um, several fascinating anecdotes thus far, including the <laughs> bag of Costco chocolate chips. <laughs> a classic for the ages. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm wow. just kidding. We're, this show's not going to last at all. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so uh, tell me about the whipped cream. Um, just super easy. Traditional whipped cream, um, except you use confectioner's erythritol instead of sugar. And just beat it. I beat mine with a hand mixer because my stand mixer bowl is in the dishwasher. Another fascinating anecdote for you. <laughs> um, and it just turns out fluffy and tastes exactly like regular old whipped cream. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to dig my finger in there and just have a little taste just to kind of... Just to make sure Prepare myself. everything's kosher, huh? For everything else ahead of time. Mm. Mm. Wow, that is creamy. Yeah, it's good. It's good, and it's good cream that you got. Yeah, and you know what? Once again, I don't think that I could tell that that doesn't have sugar in it. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, I should mention that erythritol does have a slight cooling effect on your mouth whenever you eat it. Well, what's wrong with that? Some people don't like it. Some, some people don't like a cool mouth. They like right. a hot mouth all the time. It's like... <laughs> yeah. I hate you. I like my mouth scorching. 
But yeah, aside from people's temperature in their mouth. No, it doesn't was... cool it literally. It's a cooling effect. So like whenever you chew gum and then you like try and take a drink of cold water and, and oh. it like sucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, now, I can understand that. Yeah, before yeah. you jump right in, smart ass. <laughs> you see, you can't use complex terms like the cooling effect. You have to explain them to me like I'm five years old. I mean, it's like a, a Star Trek plan or something where somebody like says some complicated gobbledygook techno jargon. And then, uh, kind of like the moo moo milk from the cow, yeah, goes into the mixing bowl, and then we use the sprinkle sprinkle of magic sugar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Explain things. Yeah, that's how it's got to go. That. Well, to me, anyway, I'm sure our listeners know what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure they, I hope, I'm sure they do. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> how much longer do we have to wait to eat this stuff? We're done. I'm done. I've been done. Oh, it's done. You've okay. You've been talking. Well, yeah. In that case, uh, we'll be right back. I'm going to take some pictures and uh, have a taste of this, and then we'll get back and tell you what we think about it. Today's movie is going to be a childhood classic, favorite of mine, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <sighs> you to do this again? Yeah. But see, I'm excited about this one because with Back to the Future, you know, I thought it was going to be something that uh, would be a good starting off point because I wanted us to disagree. I wanted uh, to really get into an argument with you. That like, oh no, this movie is really good, blah, blah, blah. I think this is the movie that I'm going to be able to do that with. Okay. I, I think that you're not going to like it, and I think that I'm going to still love it, having seen it again. I've seen this movie 837 times, Jordan. Yeah. So let's not mislead our listeners that I've never seen this movie. Well, yeah, I, don't, I uh, wouldn't want them to think that. But um, So yeah, the last time we watched this movie, I think it was a couple years ago. Two, three years ago, something like that. Yeah. And we've watched it together before. In fact, you know what? I think we may have even watched... No, we watched The Last Crusade on uh, our honeymoon that one time. We're staying in bed and breakfast. But... Must have been really drunk. I don't remember anything but the Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start out with um, how... What you expect from this movie. What do you think is going to... How it's going to make you feel. For the 837th time? Yeah. Um, so the Indiana Jones movies, I remember my dad and like a bunch of my cousins really loving these movies. Yeah. And being like, oh, he's such a, he's such a stand-up guy. That's what a real man is. <laughs> and I remember being, you know, um six or seven years old and listening to them talk about this and then watching it on the TV as a six or seven year old and thinking he seems selfish and violent <laughs> to me as a six year old. Okay. And those were like, those were like my basest urges at six. I wanted to be selfish and violent. Yeah. And I think it's also another one of those things that it was, um, a lack of representation of people who look like me. Sure. 
I can totally see this movie being uh, like kind of split amongst like you if you're a young white boy or or you know just a white man in general then you'll probably enjoy this movie because it's definitely a power fantasy for white men yeah as if we don't have enough of those <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare take one of those away from me not even one not one i'm just so baffled as to why anyone thinks that those are going to be take quote taken away from anyone <laughs> there's not going to be a like feminist police who run in in our fucking pussy hats and just burn every dvd copy of indiana jones this is like fahrenheit 451 but for <laughs> all the uh male dominated media that's ever existed yeah oh yeah. i actually love that idea yeah, yeah. hey Let's pitch it to Hollywood. <laughs> I, I actually think that would be an amazing movie. Um, we definitely get Melissa McCarthy in the lead. It would be a comedy, and it would... Oh, uh... you're going full satire with it. <laughs> See, I wasn't. I was like, let's make it really dark and gritty, because those guys seem to like that shit. Oh, yeah, you're like, let's cast Vera Farmiga in the in the leading role. She's going to, yeah. I mean, if it, <laughs> if it was everything that... Uh, red pillars wanted it would actually just be a bunch of men there would be no women in it <laughs> except oh, man. for one with really big boobs <laughs> what a super ironic oh man I would love to we, we gotta write this down and, and make this into something I don't know what it is even if it's just a webcomic <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry greater world yeah. went off on a rabbit trail there so yeah um you were talking about how uh, you don't see people represented in this movie that are, are like you. What yeah. about, I mean, so remembering the character of Marion, like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Marion's flat. Yeah. Marion's flat, like every fucking female character in every Star Wars, <laughs> every Indiana Jones. So we'll see how, <laughs> in Indiana Jones. Yes. So we'll see how, um, oh my God, that's the next reboot they're going to do is Indiana Jones. Yes. And yeah, it's going to be uh, just like female Ghostbusters and all that other stuff. They're going to, uh, Ocean's 8 and all these other uh, all-female cast reboots. Indiana oh, Jones. It's going to be amazing. People are going to shit their pants. They're going to hate it. It's probably already in the works. Steven Spielberg is probably counting <laughs> his money as we speak. So this is made by his uh, his niece, Stephanie Spielberg. Oh. Yeah. Stephanie, huh? Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so I, you know, I remember Marion as being a character. Like, I don't, I mean, not that she's like anywhere near the level of Indiana Jones. And I, I would never, ever say that. But I do remember that at least they tried to give her some nuance and, like, something other than just, I'm a woman and here I am. Like, she's a hard drinker. I remember seeing her in, uh, I mean, I think her opening scene is, like, with her winning a drinking contest against some Nepalese fat man or whatever. <laughs> um, it's just shorthand. It's the, the problem with it isn't that Marion doesn't have quirky things about her sure that's never been the problem with yeah. these movies the problem is that every quirk that's thought up is thought up by a male writer who can only think about term things in terms of himself or in terms of things someone has told him secondhand <laughs> about women yeah and so for a man what's powerful and awesome for them may be chopping up 18 men with a scimitar yeah or have like a woman who's a hard drinker it always comes back to being 
about the male writer's dick. So what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But, Duh. Um, so what would you say? Uh, what would you say is like um, a female power fantasy? At least for you. I know we can't speak for uh, all women or anything, but just out of curiosity, like from Fucking for my edification. Ripley from Alien. Even though that one did come from male mind, I mean. I think that was just a, a lucky a lucky <laughs> moment for him, I yeah. do. Because everything else after that led me to believe that there was a female ghostwriter for Alien. Yeah. I mean, so that makes me think, because, you know, we have... Uh, Ripley is an incredibly strong female character, not just because, you know, she's doing things and mm-hmm. because she's, like, physically strong, which, I you know, we could argue that she is or isn't. I'm not real positive, but... You know, she has actual, an actual character arc, emotions yep. that are expressed, and, yep. and uh, desires and dreams that go beyond, right. like, two dimensions. Right. Um, but do you think that that is contributed to by the fact that she is the main character in those movies? Or does, like... Oh, certainly. If, um, if you know, if Marion was uh, a more lead character of Raiders of the Lost Ark... You think that she might be fleshed out more because she'd have more time invested in delving into her character? Yeah, I, I absolutely do believe that. But here's my but: <laughs> um, there'd have to be another woman in there for her to have a conversation with. Right. So. Like there is in the real world. You mean? Yes. What the hell? This is this is my fantasy movie where there's only one woman and she likes me, and that's it. Oh. Oh, okay, J.D. Salinger. <laughs> All right. Don't you take that away from me. <laughs> no one's going to take it away from you. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, okay. Uh, other than that, I mean, what what else do you remember about this movie that you liked? We'll talk about my experience with it in Raiders, a minute. But. Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is the one that has... Um, no, that's the Temple of Doom. Never mind. <laughs> The uh, guy getting his heart ripped out or yeah. whatever? Yeah. I, mm. I I almost wanted to watch that one, but I couldn't because this one is was made first. Like, I, I actually have stronger opinions about Temple of Doom than I do about Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I'm, uh, I'm still excited to see this one. Is this the Nazi one? There, yeah, there's this one's a Nazi one, and then The Last Crusade uh, is also involving Nazis. Uh, this is the one where they go uh, to find the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, race against yeah. race against the Nazis to find the Ark of the Covenant. Which I guess, uh, so I'll get into this really quick because this is a, um, this movie always interested me as a kid because I grew up in a, a religious household and I myself was very religious. I'm not anymore, but I really enjoyed um, being in the church and I enjoyed this movie because it was almost like um, a like a action movie that's set in like the universe that I was reading about on yeah. a day-to-day basis, the biblical universe, which yeah. is kind of like, if we look at it now with like Marvel movies and stuff like that, like everything's connected in these movies and like it's been going on in comic books for, you know, pretty much since the forties. It's, it was interesting to me to, to have that kind of interconnected universe um, back then even though it wasn't, like, formally done that way. Like, Steven Spielberg and his cohorts didn't, like, come together and do that. But it's, like, 
<laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that the the Bible is kind of like its own cool comic book multiverse. Yeah. And so, like, having these artifacts, like the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail and, like, these other um, religious and occult items that have, like, immeasurable power right. is pretty cool. Um, I mean, the Bible is metal. The Bible is pretty metal sometimes. It's the most... It's... I mean, I, it definitely shaped my love of black metal. I'll say that. And I'll say that it shaped my love of Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. The brutality of Cormac McCarthy or... Uh, yes. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> Just yes. Um, um, I get it. I get it with the, like... I understand people love world building and people particularly love world building around something for like that they're familiar with. Yeah. They love that shit. And that's fine. But I like hung out with the Bible enough whenever I was forced to read the Bible a lot. <laughs> um, and um, what I was saying is, I've totally lost my train of thought now. Well, that's all right. I'll pick it up real quick. Sure, sure. I was just thinking about, because, yeah, our we both grew up in religious households. Right. But we had way different experiences. Right, right, right. And even though now we're both atheists, we had, um, like, you grew up uh, not enjoying your religious experience at all. I totally was into it. I, sure. I, I mean, until later on when I eventually, like, quote unquote lost my faith or whatever you want to call it. Well, uh, listen, you guys had a bass guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and other children. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, Rachel grew up in a more fundamentalist uh like no dancing Baptist uh background and that's like the most generous way to put it. It was much harsher than that for you. Yeah. Uh, for me, I grew up in like a more progressive like mega church. Uh they got a rock band playing worship songs type of thing. Like, it's a lot easier to like like the religion that I was raised in as opposed to the religion that you were raised in. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can always tell the story about, um, like, sitting in the pulpit and wearing pantyhose. And I have a latex sensitivity, a latex allergy. And there's latex and pantyhose and little oh girl's pantyhose. And I would break out on my legs and sit in church wearing pantyhose and would wiggle because I was like five and they didn't have children's church because <laughs> there were 30 people there and they yeah. were all on death's door. Oh my God. And I would be sitting there and itching under my, in my pantyhose and my mom would just reach over and just pinch my leg really hard. Wow. Whenever I wiggled around. <laughs> I hated church. Church was the worst. For me, church was where all my friends were. Church yeah. was where like my community was. I really enjoyed it. It was like, you know, getting to see all of my friends sure. every week. And for you, I don't think, did you have a single friend at church? Like anyone no. that was your age that you could talk to? I mean, I had old guys who gave me sweet tarts out of their like suit jacket pockets, but those are <laughs> not your friends. Yeah, that doesn't count. And in fact, kids, if you're listening to this, don't accept sweet tarts from strangers, no matter if they're at church or anywhere else. Well, they're else. not strangers because there's only like 30 people in church. You know every motherfucker. Okay, well, don't take candy from old men. It's, it's weird. There's something creepy going on. Ah, see, I don't know. That was like the only enjoyable time I had at church. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess it's all a matter of perspective. That's then. what I was saying. Like, those guys were my friends. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> sort of friends. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, so, yeah, that's some background for 
Wait, the religious cool. aspect of Raiders of the Lost Ark for me and Rachel. But yeah, so we talked about this being a male power fantasy. Yes. That is totally what I remember about this movie. Yeah. I still, I mean, there are some aspects of Indiana Jones' character yeah. that we'll talk about later that I have already recognized as being like toxic and that I don't, I don't idolize or like think are great. Oh, sure. But... On a whole, I do really love Indiana Jones. I wanted to be Indiana Jones forever. We went on a school field trip to the Alamo in like second grade, and I got a, uh, I bought a bullwhip from the gift shop just so I could be Indiana Jones. <laughs> I went to uh, my grandparents used to work at Disney World, so we got to go in there for free every year. And they have we we went together on our honeymoon that one time. We sure did. And you know what? Our honeymoon is almost like this podcast in a lot of ways, in that I forced. Some of my childhood on you to see what you would do. Uh, but you liked the Animal Kingdom, so, you know. Shit, yeah, I like the Animal Kingdom. They have a giant gorilla habitat. Everything else can <laughs> kiss my ass. And don't worry, listeners, we didn't just do what I wanted to do. We also went to uh, Delray Beach and enjoyed, enjoyed that for a few days, which was amazing and wonderful. And yeah. had a significantly lower number of children, which yeah. was nice. Um, and people from the Jersey Shore. Oh my God, it was. It was Jersey Spring Break and everybody's eyebrows were tweezed. It annoys me. <laughs> no judgment, but judgment. Yeah, I know. I mean, do what you want to do, but I just like, I, I, when I look everywhere and everyone looks exactly the same, it starts to creep me out a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's it's almost like living in a, oh, with like a world of clones or something like living in a video game where they only had, like, four different character models and they just, like, repeated it all throughout the world. So you're just, like, running into it, like, didn't I just talk to you about this thing? And, nope, okay, well, whatever. You looked like him. And, um, and Jordan's not saying that we hate Italians. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. Because we love Italians. They're... <laughs> oh, there's too many jokes that I can make that are just not going to go on air ever. Never yeah. mind. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, Indiana Jones is, was a power fantasy for me. Okay. I, uh, yeah. But I mentioned Disney World because they have that they, Indiana yeah. Jones stunt spectacular, and oh, you get right. the the gift cart outside in the fake jungle area or whatever. Yeah. You can buy like an Indiana Jones hat and like a vest or whatever, and um, yeah, I loved that stuff. I loved pretending sure. I was Indiana Jones. I loved pretending I was going to find like some artifact that was you know could change the world or something like that it was awesome and uh i mean it it was also interesting to me because i like maybe this was the first movie where i saw a character who wasn't just like um like a cop or like a soldier or something like an action movie like so this guy we can loosely call him a professor because you very rarely see him actually doing that but he is a professor and that's like part of his character in this movie and i thought that was really interesting as a kid he's a shitty professor though (laughs) he's a shitty professor he is a real shitty professor i want to talk about that after we watch the movie though because i want to i want to be able to specifically watch those scenes with that in mind but let's keep that in our heads that Indiana Jones is a shitty professor. It's been in my head. <laughs> it's been in your head for, for years. For years, huh? But I like the fact that, you know, he's uh, he's an intelligent person who's, like, well-versed on, like, a specific subject, uh-huh. and people come to him for help in regards to that subject, and sometimes it's action-packed. Uh, he was kind of like the whole package to me. Like, he had brains, and, like, he's brawny, and he's also handsome, and, you know, he can do... He's capable, he can do all of these things. Clever, whatever. 
You can do all those things. Yeah. So if you were to use the same number of adjectives you just used there to describe Marion. <laughs> um, I mean, so I do think that she's clever. Uh, I, you know what? I do think that Karen, um, Karen Allen is a handsome woman. Uh, not so much anymore. I think she tried to look, it's that horrible Hollywood trap that women get into where they're like, I have to look young, which is, I mean, it, you, you kind of do cause Hollywood sucks. Like if you're not a young woman, you're going to have a, and you're not Meryl Streep, you're going to have a hard time. So like she yeah. she did the Botox stuff and the and the plastic surgery stuff. You're it, going off on a tangent. I just wanted a few adjectives to uh, describe her to make a point. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? Then you've made your point because I just spent like ninety percent of the time talking about her appearance. You sure did. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, there you go. Boom! Mind exploded. You didn't expect <laughs> that one, did you? I didn't. Thanks yeah. for having my back there, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> That's totally an Indiana Jones thing to do. I suppose uh, so. Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, I'm excited to see this movie. I remember, I mean, it's, I, I picked this movie also because it's Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. And I, we're going to be watching a lot of Steven Spielberg movies on here for sure. Uh, but he, uh-huh. he presented Back to the Future. And so I thought it'd be interesting to watch a movie that he directed, um, which means he had a lot more involvement. Steven Spielberg, I think, is a much better better filmmaker than Robert Zemeckis. Well, fuck yeah. I mean, Robert Zemeckis, you know, his claim to fame was Forrest Gump. Yeah, I mean, you've got the guy who made Schindler's List here um, making a fun action movie about... I think he's a totally capable director. I do. I don't think he's very interesting a lot of the time. Yeah, you know, but... I, I would agree with that. I, I don't think that he's, like taking a whole lot of risks. Yeah. I don't think he's ever taken a whole lot of risks in his career. Like, yeah. all of his movies are... I, I, I hesitate to use the word safe, but that might be the no, best word, the word to describe it. Like, he's he knows what he's doing. He's a capable filmmaker, and he knows how to tell a story. Right. And he knows how to do it in a simple way that people understand that is also not boring. And so I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot less exposition than we saw with Back to the Future... A lot less of like, here's 15 plans and here's how we're going to do them. Right. Um, I'm expecting to see some better camera work and some uh, just better drawn characters. Steven Spielberg is like notorious for, or not notorious, but he's known for kind of being hands-on with a lot of the aspects of production. So I'm excited about that. Um, I do think this is going to be a good movie. I think I'm going to like it again. What do you think? I think I'm going to be mostly bored as I usually am with this movie um and I was thinking about it and I was like this podcast could be called Rachel dismantles your (laughs) fragile masculinity icons (laughs) because when I'm really I mean who knows I might just be like Oh boy, what a great adventure! Now I feel like Indiana Jones and just jump up and grab a bullwhip and snap it across the front yard. So if that happens, maybe I should have like the police on speed dial or something because you're not my wife. If that happens, there's no way the there's no way that that's gonna happen. She's been possessed by a succubus. But do you think that do you think there's any chance that you might get to the end of this and think, you know, that movie's okay? 
I really do that with white guys doing stuff movies. Yeah, well, which is almost all movies. But that's not that's not true. I mean, we've watched plenty of independent movies that you'll you'll give a yeah. pass for white men doing things. But it's not plot. always. You generally those movies do have like full women characters in them. That's true. They generally do. Okay, well, I'm curious to find out what's going to happen. I think I'm going to be bored. I think I'm going to be frustrated with the, like, very phallic nature (laughs) of this whole thing. I think I'm going to be, um, maybe I'll be surprised. I don't know. I'm generally, like, not ripping my hair out like I am in Avengers movies because it's so long. Okay. Well, let's have let's have a look and we'll see. All right. We'll be uh, we'll be right back. back um we've got the uh salted caramel cheesecake mm-hmm. in front of us mm-hmm. and what's your first thought upon uh taking a look at this delicious cheesecake rachel um it looks like one of the first cheesecakes i ever made when i was like 10 it's pretty rough y'all <laughs> um it looks like shit but hopefully it'll taste good yeah, I mean, so the color of the salted caramel um, wasn't quite what I thought it would be when it's mm-hmm. actually on the cheesecake. It kind of looks um, like gravy or something, but at the same time, it smells amazing. Yeah, it's got a really like nice vanilla profile. It, it it's gonna, I think it's gonna be good. It'll be fine, okay. one way or the other. Well, let's let's take a bite of this and see All what right, we think. Here we go. Mm. Oh. Okay. We can make a whole podcast just of noises of eating this stuff. <laughs> mm. It does taste good. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And um, there's absolutely okay. So we had we had sugar in the cupcakes last week with the chocolate chips, right? No, just a little bit. It was just, just in the cho- it was just in the chocolate chips. Okay, so like I kind of like had that in the back of my mind, thinking to myself like, okay, that explains it, mm-hmm. but. There's literally no real sugar in this one. Is that what you're telling me? No sugar. Because uh, this tastes so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, this is... I've got to say, it's even miles beyond last week's cupcakes. Like This is one of my favorite sugar-free things you've ever made me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... uh, mm. It's good. And, like, the the way to avoid it looking so garbagey is, like... You make the caramel beforehand, and you're supposed to beat it into the mix, but I wanted to see if I could make a marbled effects effect, Ooh, okay. and it didn't work. didn't work. So just beat it, just ignore that and beat it into the mix. <laughs> Don't do what I did. Um, I mean, the, the texture of this, mm-hmm. I, like, so beyond the sugar-free aspect, mm-hmm. because we've talked that to death, or I've talked it to death anyway, mm-hmm. the texture of this is just like a normal cheesecake, mm-hmm. and it's so good. And the flavor, that caramel is really coming through. And I love the like the cream cheese, 
creaminess mm-hmm. is in there too all just mixing together like i can't believe this is like a quote-unquote fake cheesecake the crust tastes a lot like graham cracker crust too yeah and the texture is really good mm. i thought there was going to be like a graininess or something yeah. but there's not it's like the and the crust isn't too hard you know you get cheesecake sometimes where mm-hmm. it's like you try to cut through it with a fork yeah. and you like break your plate because it like mm-hmm. smashes through <laughs> yep I the table screaming. cracks in half. and <laughs> Everyone um, runs screaming from the <laughs> restaurant because you've yeah. actually turned into a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this, uh, yeah, this, like, crust is, like, nice and tender mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. But it still has that, uh, that little bit of toughness to it to, like, give it a little extra texture. Yeah. Which is nice. The, the, I'm actually, like, I think this might be the, the, the greatest sugar-free thing you've ever made. You think so? Yeah. The flavors are all there. Yeah. And then we've got the three different textures with the crust and the uh, cream cheese filling and then the whipped cream uh-huh. on top. And it all, like, blends together really nicely. Oh, thanks. Um, mm. It would be even better if I hadn't uh, chilled it, like, blast chilled it. Yeah. So, listeners at home, don't do that. Even though this is pretty good. And what can we do about the way that looks? Because honestly... I just said it. I just said what to do. Wait, that's what it is? Is that you put it in the... No, I said about the caramel. Like, not trying to make the marbling effect. Oh, that marbling effect. Yeah. Yeah. On the top. Okay. Gotcha. It looks... I mean, despite the way that looks, it tastes amazing. I can't believe it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really excited to eat more of this. Yeah, I actually am. That's why I'm not talking that much. What made you want to make this dish? Um, I was just scrolling through recipes. Um, and Where do you go to look for recipes? <laughs> I just type. I'm like an old person on Google. I just type in. <laughs> How to cheesecake. <laughs> I just like type in erythritol desserts mm. delicious or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I grew up in the era of bouillon searches. What is that? Y'all know what a... Right. Remember a bouillon search? Whenever you had to put, like, and in capital letters? Oh, a bouillon search. What is this, like, French bouillon? We're down here in New Orleans. I guess I've been living here too long. (laughs) Bouillon search. Oh, man. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, bouillon search. I understand. Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. So, yeah, you just kind of, like, found inspiration for this on mm-hmm. somebody else's erythritol page? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. And I was just like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it different. Yeah. <laughs> like I always do. Yeah, Rachel is notorious for going off script with uh, her recipes and instructions because she doesn't like people telling her what to do. <laughs> Isn't that right? Uh, <laughs> Isn't that right? Yes, I have a problem with authority. mm as you've probably already figured out in the one and a half hours that you've known me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Yeah, I think uh, we're going to have to take a break so I can finish this cheesecake. Because I, I really just want to eat a whole ton of it and come back after that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be right back.
Okay, so we just finished watching Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Rachel, sum this up as if it were on a DVD box. Um, white man steps on the backs of women. <laughs> no, you can't say the exact <laughs> okay, same okay, thing okay. as that, last time. That was a joke. Um, I would like to call this one, uh, that professor must definitely have tenure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, he doesn't do much teaching in this, does he? There's one scene. Yeah, well, I just, whenever, I work at a university, and I, like, whenever we have to go somewhere, even if we're just going to, like, a day-long conference, we have to fill out, like, all these forms and shit. <laughs> and so, I just imagine, like, Indiana Jones having to fill out all those forms and shit, yeah. and it makes me laugh a little bit, because he just, like, goes up <laughs> to the guy who's presumably the chair of his department, he's like, I'm going to this place, and his chair's like, right, Oh, well, yes. you know, that's funny you say that, because I think it's the third movie, when there, there's another scene where he's actually at the university, and it's something like his office hours or whatever, and there's, like, people lined up out the door oh, yeah. to see him for his office hours, because they're confused by his class. And instead of helping them, he literally bails out the window and runs away. Wow. I mean, that sounds <laughs> And goes like, on an adventure, so... That does sound like some faculty behavior that I have yeah, I don't think before. I don't think teaching is his first love. Like, not even, not even a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, if I had to sum this movie up, I would say... Uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, an adventurer... Seeks the uh, has to race against time and the Nazis to find the Ark of the Covenant. Boom! Right there, one sentence. You think that's uh, adequate? Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, if you were writing the backs of DVD cases professionally for <laughs> non-English speakers in Korea, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, just hey, kidding. I, I'm I'm simplifying it as much as possible. That is a fair a fair judgment, I would say. I just wanted to say Plus, that's funny. what are you saying? Those people in Korea that don't want to watch Indiana Jones? Is that what you're trying to say, Rachel? I'm sure there are many Koreans who both do and do not want to watch Indiana Jones. That's true. And we'll talk about that. Uh, there's some interest. I'm, so, right off the bat, I want to say that I, I liked this movie again, another time. Okay. Like, I still like this movie. And yes, I acknowledge it has some problems with it that we'll talk about. Uh, but I still, yeah, I'm, I stand by. My expectations, I was, my expectations were fulfilled. I had a exciting, thrilling, adventurous time watching this movie. But it had caveats. Okay. How about you? Sum, sum up your experience. Um, as far as movie making goes, it's an extremely capable, pretty entertaining film. Yeah. I'll, go, I'll say that. However, my main caveat, I, I, I do have a caveat. There's two caveats. And one of them is that um, Marion is always under threat of sexual violence. Yeah. And also, the people of color I have are portrayed as, and I have like 12 adjectives for how I felt like <laughs> people of color were treated in this movie. Didn't you, did you write those down? I did. Yeah. Shall I read, read them? them? Yeah, read them, please. Because um, uh, I remember thinking it's, it's startlingly accurate. But you know what? Just, just read the list first. Uh, people of color treated as disposable, naive, stupid, noble savage, expendable, treacherous, cowardly, 
not to be not to be trusted. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll go into a deep dive on that. Uh, maybe because I want to talk about the story first and then I want to kind of sure. give some and maybe we'll hit up each scene by scene and talk about it as we get there because there's so much of it. That yeah. we could spend a, a long time just going through the list. But I do want to touch on something you said really quick. Um, I think we were like maybe midway through the movie or about three quarters through and you had said something about like, you know, I bet it is easy for you like to like this movie because you don't have to think about it from like a woman's perspective. Yeah. When you mentioned the like constant threat of sexual assault and how like in even the most simplest of terms, that is a bummer so like yeah it's hard to enjoy the movie when like somebody is under threat of sexual assault the entire time yeah and something that's glossed over for men but women definitely would pick up on that a lot more oh yeah and maybe that's what makes it so unpleasant like men like have this stuff pointed out to them and like it needs to be pointed out yeah but they're like coming from this place where like how can you not love this movie like uh, i love everything about this movie it's a perfect movie and then somebody brings something like that up and like okay the movie's not perfect anymore yeah but you know what that's okay i can still like it i don't know why people get so they kind of go overboard not not the people that are like well you know people on all sides go overboard with everything all the time but the people who hear other like women's or people's react people of color's reactions Mm -hmm. to movies like this and they take it so personally and get yeah. really angry. And it's like, dude, it's okay. Like, that movie is always there. You can always sit and enjoy it. Just acknowledge that it's, it has some issues with it. And yeah. it's fine. I mean, like, I'll take us back to when you and I were first dating. Yeah. And you used to get really mad when I'd point out problems and Well, things. it is kind of shocking. Like, because, you know, it's, it, it's one of those experiences where, like, I've never seen it that way before. Yeah. And, like, most people wouldn't come up and just be like, uh... You know, like a friend, some a woman that you know that's your friend, yeah. like on a casual basis who's watching this movie with you, is probably not comfortable enough to say, like, hey, you know, this movie, I don't like it as much. Like when a bunch of fanboys like me are going like, oh, this movie rules, like, look at this, look this at that. Movie. Like, yeah. I can totally see that. Um, but yeah, like I said, at the same time, while I acknowledge those problems are there, I, I still enjoyed watching the movie. And let's start with the story. Well, you know, let's start with what showed up even before the story started, which was the MPAA rating of PG for this movie. Um, A guy's face gets melted (laughs) off with God's Holy Spirit. Um, Two guys. Yeah, but one of them wasn't, the special effect wasn't as good. So (laughs) I blocked it out of my mind. One is way more memorable. That's Um, true. And, uh, like... I would count. I mean, dozens of people got shot. Oh yeah. Several got exploded. A guy gets uh, shredded by a propeller blade. Yeah. There's like people getting their brains blown out, like mm-hmm. literally on camera. Yeah. Um. Oh man, what else? There's some brutal. I mean, even like, I, I love that fight scene with the huge Nazi on, um, underneath the plane, and I want to go into that a little bit more later, but yeah. uh, besides him getting shredded by the propeller blade, there's also, like, some pretty brutal punches that are drawing, like, a shit ton of blood. Yeah. And it's like, how? How did this movie get PG? Like, I feel like this movie is close to an R rating, like, in terms of violence alone. Well, because this was... This movie was made in the height of the Reagan era. <laughs> I'm serious. It all yeah. goes back to that. 
um, where it was like we got a lot of NRA funding. We got a lot of um, images of like American masculinity coming back because America was sort of, you know, divided after the Vietnam War for a long yeah. time. And like masculinity was being performed in a different way. And then, true. Then in the eighties, it 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 came back full circle because it's it was basically a marketing ploy. Wow. For guns. Okay. And yeah, I can totally see that too. That's it, why. it does kind of the rise of violence in American movies does kind of coincide a bit with Vietnam. I don't want to get into a whole like sociological discussion about this, but it is interesting to think yeah. about. Well, I've thought about um, this a lot because of Star Wars and and Indiana Jones and even even Alien Blade Runner. Like yeah. it's all it's all about like reclaiming um reclaiming a, a traditional sense of masculinity to make Hmm. neocons feel more in control yeah but anyway we won't get into that it's just <laughs> well i'm i'm actually just like kind of zoning out thinking about it because this is a pretty awesome subject we might have to talk about that off off the air later the air. sorry you guys you're not privy to our uh our our private amazing discussions that we want to wow. have <laughs> way to yeah. you know not tamp that arrogance down jordan oh man no i'm just I, like i'm super fascinated to hear what you're going to say about that uh but yeah, so this movie is was made in the era before PG-13, and this was mm-hmm. not this movie, but the Temple of Doom when they rip a beating heart out of a man and take a <laughs> bite of it on screen. Like, that was what kind of propelled PG-13 to exist, because yeah. before then it was just either PG or R. And like... I, I mean, I think there is an argument that this movie could be on the R side of PG-13, uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, but yeah, you were saying that you know, because it's all about sex. If there's sex in it, then definitely you're getting an R rating. Right? Oh, yeah. Show show a titty here and there, and you'll get that <laughs> R rating. Fast Times at Ridgemont High was not nearly as violent as this movie. Yeah. Oh, shit. And Fast I mean, there's no reason that movie should have had an R rating. Well, it's because Phoebe Cates took her top off. Yeah, well, I know, but... Like, that's ridiculous. I know, isn't like, that absurd? That's totally absurd. Yeah. You can see the same shit on Nat Geo... In a in a magazine in Walmart, but they won't show fucking Nicki Minaj. Like I get it, I I understand, but like get the fuck out of here with that self righteous pretend a, crap. Give give this movie. And also, it was about rebellion too. They didn't want kids like true, true feeling rebellious because they need good fucking what's the word I'm looking at <laughs> proletariats. Yeah. So so yeah, Indiana Jones. The it's. Basically, mind slavery. That's what we're saying here. But, <laughs> no. no. Uh, but the yes. MPAA, yeah, that's what it really is. But yeah, so, you know, an extraordinarily, extraordinarily violent movie for a yeah. PG movie. Yeah. Um, you did, you weren't bored during the credit sequence this time. That's true. Uh, like we said, credit sequences may be a thing of the past, but at least stuff is going on in this one a little yeah. bit more than in Back to the Future. There's like <laughs> just like clocks. <laughs> yeah, well, because like there are some things that are going on, and Robert Zemeckis to me seems like such a Steven Spielberg disciple. Like, but he's just not as good. Like he does, he tries to do all the same filmmaking techniques, but he's just not quite as. I don't know, well-versed in it. He doesn't have the je ne sais Because, I mean, Spielberg has all those clever moments, the clever callbacks and, like, jokes that are in yes. there and stuff like that. Uh, like, scenes with some dramatic camera work that Zemeckis tries to do. 
And it, he's just not as good at it. Like, Spielberg seems to, like, have this stuff down. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Spielberg is a capable filmmaker. Like, I did love E.T. And actually, like, Third, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, you know, I haven't seen that movie. I know, I know. The fuck? Special um, episode coming up later. <laughs> Where I just show him Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. So you didn't like the, the one thing you didn't like was, because the credit sequence is all kind of a build up to the reveal of the character of Indiana Jones. Right. And you told, you said in the movie, you said something like, oh, I don't like that or something along those lines. Like, yeah, fuck this or whatever. Like the whole scene is kind of building up. It's just showing Indy's back and like his um, whip and stuff like that. And then when the guy pulls a gun on him at the river and he whirls around and whips the gun out of his hand, then it, he, like, steps out of the darkness and into the oh, camera, yeah. you know? And you were like, oh, fuck. Like, why are we doing this? Because it's just so clever. It's yeah. just, like, fucking directors <laughs> jerking it. Again, just jerking it. And I'm just like, I didn't fucking come here to watch you jerk it, man. Just be entertaining me. See, I don't know. I guess I did come there to watch him jerk it because I really, <laughs> I really enjoy that scene. And I enjoy the scenes that do that. It's funny because the reason that I mentioned Zemeckis and Spielberg together is because if we look back at Back to the Future in that opening credit sequence, it is exactly trying to do what this credit sequence does. Yeah. Like, it sets the tone. It gets our character, but doesn't show his face. It just kind of shows him walking around at, like you know, either out of focus or, like, kind of out of frame a little bit or, like, zoomed out so that you can't really see who he is. And then, like, when he finally, like, blows the speaker and he, like, comes up out of the uh, debris, takes down his glasses, and you finally see him for the first time, like, that's the end of the credits. Boom, he's been revealed. And it's just not done as well as this Indiana Jones version is done. I know. I agree. But I'm so tired of thinking about Back <laughs> to the Future or, like, talking about it. I yeah. think... No more comparisons are allowed. No more. Is that a that's a new <laughs> podcast rule? <laughs> no more Robert Zemeckis talk during Spielberg podcast. Yeah, you know, I suppose it could be dangerous because it could eventually turn like it could grow exponentially to where I'm always talking about <laughs> like next time we're gonna watch Jurassic Park and I'm like comparing it to Raiders of the Lost Ark and Back to the Future and then we watch Forrest Gump and I compare Jurassic Park. No, stop. Back this. to the Future. No. <laughs> and Raiders of the Lost no, Ark. No, stop. This is a never-ending web of torture. Yeah, it would be. Um, that'll get old fast. So my comparisons are done. Let's Thank move on God. to Alfred Molina. Oh yeah, Alfred Molina. In the opening scene, he's English, isn't he? I think he is. I th I think he is. We forgot to look it up before we did this, which is you know whatever. I don't care. We'll just make up some stuff about him. No, I we could... won't make up stuff about <laughs> Albert Molina. What? I know what his legal team's like listening to this, and he's like, they're like, oh, that's defamation. No, I just want to like preserve the integrity of this podcast. Oh yeah, I hear you. But so, yeah, Alfred Molina plays a South American man who is like one of the guides leading Indiana Jones to the temple at the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. to find that golden idol of the uh, Jovitos, I think it is. And um, so first instance of, well, I, I don't know if I, I can call it brown face because like... Because we're not 100% sure if Albert Molina is... Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he does have... Uh, like Spanish blood in him, I think. I'm not sure. Molina, it seems like it to me. Sure. Just off the top of my head. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. But either way, they have plenty of people who are, you know, of South, South, like South American descent or whatever that are in this scene alone. Yeah. But they got Alfred Molina from Britain to play this guy. Right. Um, and, you know, he's fine, I guess. Like, I one of his first movies. Him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. There's Doc Ock. Um, I mean, I think this is a good place to talk about, because we're talking about, um, regardless of if Albert Molina is <laughs> actually Hispanic or not. Yeah. Um, talk about how people of color are treated in this movie. Sure, yeah. Um, it starts here. It starts so. right here. <laughs> like, a minute and a half in. Yeah. Um, and the first thing that happens is... Uh, this one of the the guide. I think I can't remember. I think he was an indigenous guide. He like he's he's walking with him, and the statue pops out, and he like jumps back comically with yeah. like, a big naive, scared, childlike expression on his face, and screams and runs off. Yeah, he might as well have just screamed like I like the old Johnny Quest cartoons, and, yeah. like falling off a cliff immediately. Yeah, uh, pretty goofy. So very first instance right there. Yeah, and it, it is it's goofy, but there's. There's stuff that's um, more insidious than that, which is yeah. this person of color comes into presumably their own territory and is incapable. Yeah. And, like, it takes a white man to get us through this temple. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's funny to point that out because, yeah, in the first scene, I mean, if we count Alfred Molina, there's uh, three people of color um, the, the Sherpa who runs screaming from the statue that uh, he's superstitious about. Mm-hmm. The um, guy in the safari hat or whatever that immediately afterwards pulls a gun on Indiana Jones for some reason. I guess he's a traitor. I guess, like, he thinks that he's leading them to their doom or something. It's not super clear. Yeah. But either way, um, second person of color we see, murderous. Yeah. And then uh, Alfred Molina's character straight up abandons him in that uh, cave, like, just for greed. Yeah, treacherous, expendable, cowardly, not to be trusted. And then immediately dies because he foolishly didn't remember that there was a uh, a spike trap on the other side of that wall. That's right. (laughs) So he's also stupid. We can add that in there as well. Yeah. Um, oh, you mentioned something interesting, and I, I remember during this scene specifically, you had said uh, that, like, you don't feel any, um, you don't feel connected to Indiana Jones because he's not vulnerable in any way. Oh, yeah, that's right. But we did skip over one thing that I wanted to talk about, which was how every time I watch the fucking opening of this movie, I think about UHF. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Oh, man, it is so hard to watch this movie and for it to be as cool as it was the first time, because UHF is <laughs> so redid amazing. it in such a funny way. Are you just um, running from that boulder forever? Yeah. And it eventually uh, runs over him. If y'all haven't seen UHF, the um, the movie starring Weird Al <laughs> and uh, Kramer from Fra- uh, from Seinfeld, and uh, who else is in that movie? Fran Drescher. Yeah. Yeah, see that movie. It opens with a parody of the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's a silly movie, uh, but you'll enjoy it. It's a good time. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> we'll have to watch it one day together, That is guys. a, you know, that's one we, we can do because that's a childhood memory for me too, so. Oh my God. Um, but anyway, 
So you're talking about vulnerability. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just had to make sure we didn't get yeah, too the, far past you it. You mentioned that Indiana Jones is not really vulnerable. And yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? For me, um, I can watch this movie and be like, that is a really cool stunt. What a well-thought-out, well-planned stunt. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's fine and everything. It's, sure. It's like listening, it has merit, I think. Yeah, it's like listening to a very technical piano piece and the the pianist hits every single note fine, but yeah. it's, it's missing something. And so... Um, Vulnerability. Vulnerability, right. Um, and so that's the kind of feeling that I'm getting whenever I'm watching these scenes. Um, is that like, okay, this is, those stunts are cool, but I'm not feeling like a deep, um, cathartic connection with Indiana Jones. And it's not as thrilling for me because I'm not scared for him yeah. ever. Um, and that may be because a lot of the stunts are super polished. Yeah. Which is cool and fine and it also may be that um i just don't buy that he's in danger yeah ever and i mean the there are really only a few times i mean with all the stunts that happen in this movie all the things that indiana jones does in this movie like he should get a lot more banged up than he does but he does get banged up when the plot demands it later on in the movie stuff like that um I guess, like, for me... Because you mentioned that you, you don't really have a, a cathartic connection with Indiana Jones. And I mentioned this briefly when we were watching the movie, but, um, I mean, I think because it is a male power fantasy, it would be really hard for somebody who doesn't want to be Indiana Jones to project themselves onto that character. Yeah. And, like, for me, I do really want to be that character, and I get projected into him. But I also don't feel fear for him. And I think that that's because, one, the character is, like, kind of written to be almost invincible in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, But that's a part of the fantasy, and I think that's a part of the catharsis that appeals to people so much when they watch this movie, is because when when you're Indiana Jones, like, you're untouchable. Like, if you're that kid on the playground who's Indiana Jones, you're always going to be able to get out of jam. Like, nothing is going to stop you or, or anything like that. So, like, part of the appeal... I think, is that you don't feel fear for Indiana Jones. Right, and I guess I guess I can understand that because, like, you were talking about female characters that I really... Yeah. Like, that I thought were really... Um, I could connect with. They were really cathartic for me. Would And I was thinking about Galadriel. Um, yeah. And not in the movies. <laughs> but yes, in the movies, you like her. I do. I love Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Call me Kate. That's all I'm asking. Um, but my wife was really hoping. Uh, she asked me the other day, like, "What voice? What? What does my voice sound like? Or whose voice do I sound like the most?" Don't and she's that. like, "I hope that you say Kate Blanchett." <laughs> <laughs> and I really wish that I had. I didn't say anything because I know that trap. But uh, you know, I think I said Gilbert Gottfried or something like that. If I remember, right. you did. Uh, as a joke, as a joke, of course. Um. But anyway, <laughs> my embarrassing moment aside, yeah. um, I love Kate Blanchett. I want to, she's, I want to live on a commune with Kate Blanchett. Anyway, it seems like it would be stern. I, th- I feel like it would I, be a stern commune. I thrive on that. Yeah, I mean, that is, a, that is a place where you would be ready 
for success. I'm ready for your cult, Kate. <laughs> yeah, Kate Blanchett, if you're listening, please give us a call. Please. <laughs> Not us, me. Yeah, well, hey, I, I want to go too. Like, that sounds, you're making it sound so appealing. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, back to what we were talking about. <laughs> um, so I, I think about Galadriel and why I liked Galadriel so much. Because, I mean, a lot of me and my geek girlfriends growing up would talk about that and a lot of them would be like oh i really like arwen arwen's powerful in her own right but galadriel is tied to no man yeah and she's fucking old as shit (laughs) she is wise beyond measure yeah um and i mean she is beautiful but not beautiful like hot she's beautiful like in the way a sunrise is beautiful yeah just like Like very natural yeah very terrifying too um and just like uncontrolled, and that's what I think. Why I think Galadriel is the best. Well, you know that's really interesting because when we talk about that in the terms of this movie too, mm-hmm. like Galadriel is a woman who can survive without men, like without question. Like oh, there's yeah. no a no lot way of, you could think a of. lot of Tolkien's characters, female sure. characters, good. But when we look at it that way, Marion is definitely not a character who would have survived this movie without men. Exactly. Uh, which is a shame because they kind of like try to portray her as, um, but who's fantasy? Like capable. I know, yeah, I know. Whose fantasy is this? And it, but it, it's very bare bones. But I mean, it's just, it's just, it is a shame because like she does very little. We pointed out some parts um, while we were watching where she actually does things instead of just screaming for help and getting rescued, which is you know I guess better than the worst it could be, <laughs> but. <laughs> Better than the worst it could be. Yeah. It's sad that that's like, I try to bring that up so often. I'm like, well, it's not the worst thing ever. Like, this isn't Family Feud in the 70s where women are getting kissed on the mouth by the host. This isn't God of War where naked women are getting ripped apart on wheels, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah, but does that make it okay? No. No. Uh, But there are degrees, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, back to the back to the movie. We got um, past that opening scene. Um, you know, he escapes uh, and goes back to teaching his his um, university classes. And here's where we see the only other women in the entire movie. There's about fifteen of them sitting in his classroom, just staring at him like Gaga. One of them has "Love You" written on her eye uh, eyelids, which I thought was funny because who the fuck does that? And like, did she write that on her eyelids? Because she would have to close one eye and then and do a mirror that, and image. do a mirror image, and then do the other. Like your depth perception is off. It's definitely dangerous, but it's also creepy to think that another friend, like another human being, said, "Yes, you should write "Love You" on your eyelids and show your professor that because he will definitely bone you." And I wouldn't. That's the thing. I think that Spielberg was trying to portray him as like this kind of awkward guy who, oh my God, what do I even do in the classroom? <laughs> like a tale of two indies or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he did a terrible job. I don't know. I've, you know, I've never thought about it that way because I always assumed that he was being uh, like coy on purpose. Yeah. Like he's kind of like, he's actually like the super cool teacher who's self-aware who, like, knows that this class is boring and he's trying to, like, make it a little more interesting for you. It's not boring. Well, no, of course not. Of course not. Archaeology is fascinating. But we don't find out much about it in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. That's no, true. Um, 
But yeah, so then we talked about uh, exposition in this movie. There's there are very few scenes where there's a lot of exposition, but there is one <laughs> that comes up immediately after. A bunch of fucking like the way I imagine it, and I know this isn't what are the, I don't know what these guys' roles are sitting around they're, the chair. They're G men, just government government guys. You know who I thought they were? Who's that? You can tell, again, I've been working at a university too long. I thought it was, like, his chair. and like so they had... The Board of Regents has a mission for you, <laughs> Professor. Oh, my God, Rachel, no. And that, that mission is, you need to retain these students. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish. If we had started back in the 30s, maybe we wouldn't be so screwed up now. But uh, anyway, Jones had to go and find the Ark of the Covenant, so he couldn't teach his class of 30. <laughs> Um, I'd say there were 60 in that classroom. It looked like a so? stadium seating. St- yeah, it situation. did go up pretty high. I guess I, I just forgot. I just don't care really about how many people are there. Well, it's but, important because it's like if it's 60, that's a big enough lecture that it might be like a sophomore class. Oh, so like gotcha. we have to understand the age of the girls that are flirting with him. Yeah. Like it's all putting together clues. And we'll get back to that, too, because there's an interesting detail about his past that I always forget about. But anyway, um, they, the G-men show up, and yeah, yeah. they get a long scene of just talking. And, like, that's <laughs> fine, because there are some things that need to be explained. Yeah. Uh, that there aren't really good ways to do without just talking about it. Uh-huh. But you mentioned there was a ton of stuff in there that didn't need to be. Can you give me some examples of what you saw that, um, or what that was told to you that maybe could have been shown instead? Um, well, they described the exact instructions on how to use the little amulet yeah. in the, uh, in the tomb in Cairo. Yeah. And like, and then they showed it later. Why? Why did yeah, we need to hear we that? We both were kind of frustrated because that could have been such a more, not that that scene isn't cool. It's, it's really neat with the music and like the wonder when he's like, doing the map room stuff. Oh, I thought you were talking about them sitting at the table. No. I was like, what? Well, yeah, of course, because we, could, we didn't have to know much about the staff at all. All we need to know is that there's a medallion that he needs. And yeah. then later on, there could have been a scene where he figures out that it goes on top of yeah. the staff. That would have been really neat. Could have been even he's down in the map room, and we don't even know what this medallion's going to do. Then the sun comes down and shows, oh, oh, it's a map. Like, we didn't have to know it was a map room. It could have been something else. Yeah. And... Like, just, oh, you know, you got to bring this medallion to this place at this time of day, and we'll see what happens with it. Oh, man, it shows where the Ark of the Covenant is. That would have been so much cooler than just talking all about that in a boring government speech. No, I'm telling you, like, I'm going to bring this back to Tolkien. Tolkien did that bureaucratic crap so well, thinking about, like, the moon lettering on the ruins, the dwarvish ruins. Yeah. Like, that was fucking cool. That was cool. Like, come on. You feel like you get to figure out the puzzle with them. Yeah, and exactly. And that, that's where, because that's what I like about certain mystery movies and it, some adventure movies that are like this, that there is, like, mm-hmm. that sense of mystery right mm-hmm. along with the character mm-hmm. and you're learning things, too, with them. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I think, does a, a decent job of that. But, but really there's parts where it falls short and it, it could have done better. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, this movie's not Citizen Kane, so it's not like I... I guess I'm expecting a lot of it, but I mean, why not? Why can't I expect a lot from well, it? It could, it could be the greatest movie ever. Well, you know why you're expecting a lot of it because everybody is just like Indiana Jones is the best shit ever. You're a <laughs> stupid bitch if you don't like it. And I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, I don't think it's like the best shit ever, but I do think it's pretty great. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that it's like. I think it's apples and oranges when you compare it to a movie that's like 
I don't know, way more of a film as opposed to a movie, if you know what I mean when I say that. Like, you know, it's not Chinatown. Well, no, and nobody's expecting it to be, but I'm comparing it to a, a genre piece, which is sure. Lord of the Rings. That's true. And it's an adventure piece, <laughs> and it's still, I don't want to say it's white guys doing stuff, because Tolkien never specified. I'm going to say it is men doing stuff, yeah. but I love that book. Yeah. Like, and that's why I'm comparing them. I don't think they're apples to oranges. I think that, I mean, I think that Tolkien definitely had a much, like, firmer grip on narrative yeah. and stuff. But Well, you know what? I'm going to make a, a second podcast rule. No comparisons to Lord of the Rings. None. <laughs> oh, no! Because otherwise, otherwise we'll be comparing every single thing to Lord of the Rings for the rest of this podcast. And it's you true. know it's true. It's true. Okay. <laughs> what was your rule again? The one that I gave you? Mine's no comparing to Back to the Future. <laughs> no more comparing to <laughs> Or comparing to, comparing to movies that we, that we watched before. Oh, God. Okay. But, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That, but I'm just explaining why I was. Sure. Sure, yeah. No, to, I totally understand. And I, I'm right there with you. Like, I feel like it's just a missed opportunity. Sure. I don't feel like it's a grievous sin or anything. No. But it, it just, you know, missed opportunity. Could have done, done something a little better with that. Unfortunately, mm. you know, it's done. And this guy's not George Lucas, so he's not going to go back and change it. Well, Unless it's E.T. <laughs> well, George Lucas did help write this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he only gets a story credit. And that's because, like, even though he and Spielberg work together, like, Steven Spielberg knows that George Lucas doesn't know what he's doing. And so he takes a lot out of that, that demented old man's <laughs> hands. Um, because that's the best way. I mean, George Lucas does have some cool story ideas. But that's about where it ends. Like, he shouldn't be directing. He shouldn't be, like, full-on writing the screenplay. He's uh, just we've an seen man. evidence of this. It is empirical. George Lucas cannot be trusted on his own. <laughs> uh, Someone surround that man with critics. Yeah. And we're going to eventually watch the Star Wars movies, too, and talk about them. Um, oh. Which I, I think are great. But, uh, I mean, he's not... A great filmmaker, at least not on his own, no. and the prequels are horrible. Those yeah, yeah, but things. we're talking about Indiana Jones, here, oh, pal. Man. I'm sorry, I could go on for hours, like just no more Star Wars. Six, references. Degrees, six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> over here. Just want to start talking about everything, but um, oh yeah. God. So there's that exposition there, and then uh, what he gets on the plane to go to Nepal to meet uh, Marion. Yeah, and that's where we in, are introduced to her. And I, I really like this scene. I think it's really cool when, and, you know, she owns the bar and she's doing, like, a drinking contest against... Uh-huh. Uh, Some, like, German peasant. Yeah. It's hard to tell. Um, the guy was really drunk. But, I mean, it, we tried to count the shot glasses they had. What did you say? It was, like, 12 or 12 something? 12 or something. Like, they each had 12 shots sitting there. Yeah. And, you know, she, uh, they kind of set up that she is feigning being drunk and she can actually super hold her liquor. That's like her power yeah. or whatever in this movie. Um, oh, we were talking... Saved up for later, but... <laughs> I was talking to Jordan about <laughs> about what, like, her superpower is holding her liquor. And I said that Jordan's superpower is making annoying noises. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that's not my best trait. I said, I didn't say it was your best. <laughs> <laughs> the one I'm best at. Yeah. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> You're a bitch. But yeah, so they they introduce her and they at least give her the one dimension of being able to hold her liquor. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, you know, Indiana Jones shows up and they have this conversation where she reveals that she's pissed at him. Yeah. Because something happened in their past when she was a student or she was a quote unquote, I was a child and you knew what you were doing. (laughs) Terrifying. uh, Like, so at the... I always assumed as a kid, because I didn't want to assume the worst, obviously. I assumed that, you know, she was very young, and they dated, and, uh, and like, he broke her heart mm-hmm. uh, in some way. Or... But how old is Indiana Jones supposed to be in this movie? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's clear. Um, I mean, it's hard to tell. I, I almost get the impression that he might have been a grad student when he had this relationship in the past with Marion. Because he yeah. was, like training under her dad or whatever yeah um, that may have been it. it professor ravenwood or whatever so like i don't know how old she was and i mean maybe there's like some statutory stuff going on there that's kind of creepy is they should have been more clear with that yeah if they wanted me to trust indiana jones i mean i, I feel like they left it open enough for you to assume what you want and yeah. I really don't want to assume horrible things about him because he's supposed to be our hero. I know it's like kind of almost pulp, uh, or it's literally pulp. Like it's based off of pulp novels pretty much from back in that time period. Uh-huh. So maybe he is supposed to be like a, a darker, grittier character. But like Spielberg doesn't really portray him that way consistently. So it's kind of like, I mean, I know he's a, a ruffian and a scoundrel, but is he like a rapist? Like that's kind of... Like, I, I wish they wouldn't have left that door open to me yeah. at all. Like well, they, and it would have been so easy to close off. And I mean, th- this is a good segue to talk about um, this, this particular scene coming up after, you know, she outdrinks those guys. And after she talks to Indiana Jones and they have this conversation, um, the, um, the bad German doctor, like yeah. the... What's that guy's... It's so funny that you assume he's a doctor. Because I, I, I always did too. But why? Like, he, does, he never performs any kind of medicine. Practices I, any I medicine. I thought someone called him, said hair doctor to him. Maybe they did. Maybe that's what it is and I'm just not remembering it right now. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And so he comes in and, like, all these men start closing in on her. Yeah. And there's always this imminent... When you're a woman watching this, there's this imminent threat of sexual violence with yeah. that. And they grab her, and he grabs a hot poker. And it's just the most... It's not easy to watch whenever you're a woman. It's not, because you're like, this is going to go into sexualized violence. I know it. Yeah. Like, I just know it. That's what's going to happen. And that's why... And we had talked about this earlier. um, It's hard hard for me, with that mindset, to, to... to be able to jump into this movie and be like, ha-ha, jokes! Yeah. After that. And that's because we were talking earlier about how, you know, obviously as a young boy, like I'm projecting myself on Indiana Jones, as a young girl, having Mary in there and being shown that she's capable, yeah. and you want to project yourself on her, and you get this, like, very short period of time where you're like, hey, maybe this is going to be yeah. fun for me too. But then, no, she can't really defend herself all that well. Yeah. I mean, she can... Sometimes talk her way out of jams and whatever, yeah. but for the most part, she just gets overwhelmed and like tortured or captured or you know kidnapped, whatever. Right. Um, that's not fun to experience cathartically. It's not. Yeah, and you think she's gonna be so cool and like 
doesn't she say, don't come into my bar, don't come and tell me what to do in my bar? Yeah, nobody tells me what to do in my bar. Man, and like, at that moment, as a as a young girl, you're just like, yeah. Yeah. You tell that authority figure who has nothing, like, <laughs> nothing on you. And then suddenly she's just grabbed, and it's... Yeah. it's it makes like she doesn't feel... even get a real chance to, like, fight or anything or, like, no. throw a punch even. Or like, even it, solve it in a different way. Like, I understand if she's not going to be a badass and, like, you know, do some neo, you know, kung fu shit <laughs> and whoop all these guys' asses because that's not realistic at all. No. But she could, like, it's well within her character to, like, throw a punch, kick, bite people. Like, she seems like a scrapper to me. I would not want to get into a fight with Marion Ravenwood. Yeah. But... In this movie, she's definitely not portrayed as somebody who's really that much of a threat to anybody. No, she just kind of wilts. Yeah. It's she unfortunate. Said. Yeah. And she then they put her in a dress, and she wilts in a dress, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we look at her panties. And... Oh, my God. Yeah, she is in a dress and a, and a, or a slip for most of this movie. And there's that scene where she's climbing down the rope, and you can see her for dress. Oh, my God. It's uh, the worst. Yeah. So... Let's see. Moving on past this, um, you know, they, they've got the medallion and she you know, screams out to Indiana Jones, like, mm. I'm your goddamn partner. Uh, which is not quite true, movie, but thanks for trying. Um, so they go on, uh, they go to Egypt together. Yeah. And meet up with another British guy playing a person of color, uh, Jonathan Rhys Davies, who played Gimli in The Lord of the Rings. Yes! <laughs> Yeah, but I'm allowed to say it, but you're not allowed to, so... Well, let me tell you how this is like Lord of the Rings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's yeah. Gimli. Young Jonathan Rhys-Davies uh, playing Sala, who is their Egyptian uh, friend, I guess. It's never... Their relationship is really never established, other than, I guess, that maybe uh, Indiana Jones has been there before and was, like, buddies with him or something. Yeah, like. which is fine. I don't need all the context yeah, in the background. Yeah, I don't really care either. I was able to tell just by body language and the way they're, they're talking buds. to each other. That's fine. That's that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, And most of this movie kind of does that in-media res thing where it's just right. like, you know, this character's been living in this world for a while, a while right. doing things. Like, he knows people and has context. And so I buy it. I'm okay with that. You know what? I think this movie, the structure of this movie, is a lot like a Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. <laughs> we, by the way, we love the role-playing game Call of Cthulhu. And um, Dungeons and Dragons. And, Dungeons and, and Vampire Dragons. the Masquerade. I could go on. But yeah, my favorite is Call of Cthulhu. And if you play it like pulp style, which is a little more action-packed and, and stuff, which is kind of the way that I do it, I do inject some horror into it. But it is very much like an Indiana Jones movie. And yeah, Indiana Jones has a lot of... Lovecraftian elements like yeah. the occult and the supernatural. Yeah. Um, it also has the xenophobia of Lovecraft. <laughs> it does. I some xenophobia. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so they meet Sala and yeah. there's a monkey that shows oh up. Oh my god, we have to talk about the monkey. I fucking am so confused by this monkey. I don't get it. It makes me angry. It makes me angry that this <laughs> monkey exists in this movie because it's taunting me with different tones. Oh, man, and that's amazing. how I feel about this monkey. Because, okay, so some background on this, this monkey. It, well, okay. first of all, let's talk about what it is. Oh, yeah, because this was, this was what bothered you. This is a contention for me. And I had no me. idea. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's a black-capped capuchin, which I'm almost, I can never 
like ever say anything I'm saying is 100% accurate if I don't have the information right in front of me. But Another I'm, benefit of being a woman. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like 80% sure those are New World monkeys, yeah. which means they come from South America. Um, and I might be wrong. They might be Old World monkeys. You know, um, I have no idea, but you sound right to me. So okay. I'm going to go ahead and believe it. Um, so what that means is they wouldn't have been in Africa. Yeah. Anyway, or they would have been in South America and it would have taken... Like, why would you have a black-capped capuchin when you could have um, a macaque? They're a little bit closer. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of realism there that I had no idea about. <laughs> but it is interesting to think it was that about way with that. The like, and the somebody snakes. didn't care about the details. Yeah, we'll get to that too when you point that out later because uh, that was interesting to me. But so this monkey, right? It's yeah. there, and it's kind of revealed that uh, its real owner is this foreigner. Well, I guess they're in Egypt, so he's not foreign to Egypt. This Egyptian man who is, has an eye patch and is clearly a bad guy, rides around on a motorcycle, looks grim. Um, <laughs> so this monkey is like the henchman to this this cycle this motorcyclist. I think Jordan's overthinking this a lot. But no, 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 wait, 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 because this is not overthinking at all. This monkey, oh. they meet with the Nazi uh, attaches and, you know, the guy in the eye patch gives the Heil Hitler salute and then the fucking monkey gives a Heil Hitler salute. Yeah, Jordan, because, but I was telling you, monkeys don't understand the symbolism behind gestures. You claim, you claim that that's true, but this monkey shows on multiple occasions that it is clearly intelligent. This it can be a spy for this fucking eye patch man. It can point out, hey, She's in this basket over here, you idiot. But not because it has any intent whatsoever. It has no intent whatsoever. See, I disagree. I don't think you can know. You can't know a monkey's intent. <laughs> you can't just know. Yes. And you can't proclaim that, oh, this is what that monkey's intent was. No. The monkey's actions show its intent. And that monkey gave a Heil Hitler salute. This is an evil monkey, and we're not supposed to like it. But at the same time, they're like, oh, what a cute little monkey. He's cute. And then, yeah, well, okay, yeah, but he's evil. He's cute, though. Don't, don't praise that monkey. It doesn't need any affirmation. What it needs is a talking to. It doesn't? You think that monkey understands the Third Reich? I think that monkey understands something, because that owner, like, whispers things to it, and it goes and does things. Like, what the? This is... I snap my fingers at Beans and tell her to get in her crate, and she goes and does it. That's true. But I also think that Beans is intelligent. So yeah, Beans, but... is, Beans is one of our dogs, and she is, uh, she is dumb as a pack of hammers. <laughs> but every now and then it seems like she understands the words that are coming out of our mouths. So my point is, do you think that Beans could understand like, the intent of the Nazi regime? I mean, not on a true basis, no. <laughs> Maybe the monkey just had loyalty, I guess, and it didn't even really understand what it was being loyal to. That's what I've been saying! Um, yeah, but you're saying it as if it's more of an animal that just doesn't, it's just doing, uh, you know, following master's commands. No, I think it has picked a side, but I just don't well, yeah. think it understands the side that it picked. Well, yeah, everything picks a side. Like, Bones, if, you know, somebody came and attacked us, I think our other dog, who's a Mastiff, um, if somebody came and attacked us, he would choose our side. Yeah, because he's a good dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> aren't you, aren't you, buddy? He's a good puppy. 
Let's not start that. But yeah, so this evil monkey who has made his choice and decided to side with the Nazis. Okay. I'm eats one of the this. dates, the poison dates that are meant for Indiana Jones and dies on the ground. Yeah. And the way that it's filmed, I mean, I didn't get the impression that we're supposed to feel like a ton of sympathy for it, but I felt it's like it's sad. Yeah, I know. And that's bullshit movie trickery because you're not supposed to feel sorry for a dead Nazi monkey. Jordan. That is not what you're supposed to do. Well, I, I thought you knew this, Spielberg. You're the one that made Schindler's List. You don't get <laughs> sad for a Nazi monkey that poisoned itself. Fuck this. Maybe he wasn't sad. Maybe Spielberg wasn't sad, but he just didn't portray it very well. Are you telling? Are you saying that Spielberg might have been incompetent in some way whatsoever? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong again. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think you're overthinking it personally. <laughs> We've I, got a lot more to say about this, but I've got to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back. And uh, I want everyone to know that off air, Rachel made a ton of Lord of the Rings references, which I don't know if that breaks the rule or not, because... A ton? I made one. We've set aside podcast time for ourselves, and you broke a podcast rule. Just because we're not technically podcasting at the time... Listen, you ass. (laughs) I made one. One. It felt like a hundred. It felt like one hundred of... Those references. Somebody get this boy a fucking Emmy. Yeah. Back to- not an Oscar, an <laughs> Emmy. Oh, yeah, I'm not good enough. I get it. Yeah. Way to put <laughs> me down with a backwards compliment. Oh, what was that thing? Um, there was... So, later on in Indiana Jones, that same German doctor shows up. Oh, yeah. Because uh, they've kidnapped Marion again. Well, you know what? We'll get to that later. I'll, I'll remember. Um, but I want to talk about some other stuff kind of in order first, I guess. So we finished with that evil Nazi monkey that was we weren't supposed to feel sympathy for. We better be finished with the evil Nazi <laughs> monkey or I quit. Well, he's dead now, so I don't think we have to worry too much about him. But so we had, um, you know, Indiana Jones, they, him and his friend Sala sneak onto the Nazi dig yeah, yeah. And try to find the map to where the Ark of the Covenant is, blah, blah, blah. They do it in some fun ways, I think. But then they, they eventually dig open this... Um, they start digging up the, uh, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be laying. Meanwhile, Marion is caught in a tent. Yes, by that... He's French, like his French competitor... Yeah, and what the hell is going on with all these archaeological competitors? Yeah. Because he mentions that another time earlier in the beginning when he's talking about, like, this is where, at that first temple they go to, he's like, this is where uh, Elroy cashed in or whatever. And he's like, who's that, a friend of yours? And he's like, a competitor. Like, was this like a cutthroat world of archaeology that existed back in 1936? Or what's going on with this? 
Um, I don't historically. Oh, I confess, histor. I don't know a lot about um, archaeology or, or archaeology in this time period. Um, all I know is like stuff that I've I've read in fiction books. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I can compare it to is um, our <laughs> sciences department <laughs> being in competition for a grant. They're like, we got to get this good artifact so that we can get this $50,000 oh, grant. <laughs> so there may actually be something to this competitor thing going on here. Back in the days where education mattered and, uh, you know, it was like prestigious to be in academia. Yeah. Uh, those days are long gone. This is, this is a fantasy movie for that alone. Yeah, <laughs> right there. exactly. I think that's why a lot of professors like this movie. They're like, yes. It was a good time for us. <laughs> Talk about projecting yourself onto the characters. Yeah, for real. But yeah, so um, Indiana Jones, while like rummaging around through this dig site, actually stumbles upon, because I, I don't get the impression he was actively looking for uh, Marion Ravenwood. He yeah, stumbles into that tent and she's like tied up there. Yeah. And he starts to untie her and then like just becomes a total asshole when he like stares off into space and thinks to himself, wait a second. Like, if like I, say I know it, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And but if you if I take you out now, if I rescue you now, then everybody will be looking for us. <laughs> and she's like. And so he ties her back up and gets her. There. her. Yeah. Um, which. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't the looming threat of sexual violence yeah. again. Like, if you're tied up in a strange man's tent who made you get into a dress. Yeah. Like, and then... Well, she hadn't been made to put in a dress yet, but not um, that that matters. Like, it's still frightening. But, yeah. um... Yeah, like, what the fuck? Leave her behind like that? No That's way. It's horrible. Um, and I, I guess I get it in movie logic terms where it's like, you know, if the Nazis get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, it might be the end of the world type right. of thing. But like, do we really have to explore that in this movie? Like, you know, we're willing to sacrifice this woman for the greater good or whatever. Like yeah. She, and she's not really even fleshed out as much as she should be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Indiana Jones is kind of a cad for having done that. Yeah, and I think that that's... Um, to use the parlance of our times. <laughs> He's a real cad. I'm going to go to the, to the train station and get my ticket punched. Yeah. I swear. Oh, man. Um, I mean, he is a cad, and I think that, like, along with Harrison Ford's other roles, like Rick yeah. Deckard, um, Han Solo... Sure. Um... You know, Indiana Jones all together, they're all a little bit of a cad. And I think yeah. that that is, again, that reemergence of that 80s masculinity. And it's, it's really the kind of stuff, it's funny that I'm going to bring up American Psycho again, but it's the kind of stuff that um, American Psycho was really looking deeply at that, yeah. that violent masculinity. That's true. Uh, at the same time, just quick aside, you're getting dangerously close to getting a third podcast rule here. <laughs> no, American Psycho. <laughs> dangerously close. <laughs> no. You're, you're on the edge. But yeah, like, so this is a subject that has been explored before, but like Harrison Ford's version of masculinity in movies, like the character yeah. he plays. There's a really interesting, for you guys that don't know, there's a really interesting uh, YouTube uh, show called Pop Culture Detective, uh, where a guy kind of analyzes... Uh, masculinity in terms of media yeah. and he talks about uh, Harrison Ford in mm -hmm. movies and it, it like I don't know if 
if it's Harrison Ford that's putting this spin on his characters or if it's just the writing of the movies that he's in. And he gets typecast for that particular yeah. role, probably. But, like, I mean, but, he's kind of... Go ahead. But I, I heard... I mean, Carrie Fisher wrote he was a real asshole, basically. Really? So. Um, so I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super surprised. I mean, he, he did save all those Boy Scouts with his helicopter, though, on the side of a mountain or whatever. Like... Not a, it's not black and white. Yeah, it's not black and white, but... Um, but yeah, he, he portrays characters that are like, quote unquote, scoundrels yeah. or rogues. Mm-hmm. And like, for me as a young kid, Harrison Ford was a big part of my masculinity. Fortunately, he wasn't the only part. Yeah. Uh, but cause there are some, th- I think there are a lot of things to admire about Harrison Ford's masculinity in movies, but I, I think there's a lot more to be concerned with. Sure. Um, because I mean, the way he treats women is very, uh, problematic i mean that's a mild way to put it i think i'm trying to think of a word that would work but he is constantly he's very demanding he's physical um and aggressive yeah which i know in in our society it's it's kind of accepted in a lot of certain i mean he's an alpha male like he uh is definitely like trying to prove he's the strongest like he's you know Mm -hmm. he's like a cary grant type of man uh from a from a time period long past i guess sure but again it was that that kind of masculinity that was really being championed during that time period yeah it's true and it's just odd to me i I wonder where it comes from um like you said he could be typecast or he could be like injecting it himself Mm -hmm. i really don't know probably a little column a probably a little column b yeah but yeah i mean so it's not shown as much in this movie as it is in others, but uh, in other Indiana Jones movies, even. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, he does have that kind of a edge to him that I don't really like about him. I don't like it about his character, and I don't like that it's kind of a popular element of his character. It's almost right. sm- meant to be like romantic. Yeah. That like you know. Like a bodice ripper. Like no, I'm not gonna kiss you. He's like no, get over here. Like no, that's a, like kind of scary actually. Like I don't yeah. think I would like that if somebody did it to me. When I'm like, you know, leave yeah. me alone. Like, it's not a... I mean, I guess some people do play coy, but I'm really not into people that do, I guess. But it's also not about what you want. Like, yeah. I love you, but, like, it isn't about... With with the whole coy thing, it's it's dangerous as a representation. Yeah. Um, And it, when whenever, you know, 10-year-old boys are watching this and they see a woman say no to a man they very much admire and want to be and he grabs her anyway and yeah. pulls her to kiss him like that's it's a dangerous precedent it's, to it set it's dangerous it's a dangerous example to set yeah because that's not reality like at all no. and like if you do that in real life like that's why some communities exist when they shouldn't is because they believe that they are owed um they are owed a woman pretty yeah, much like, because of this media but also for other reasons. Yeah, and women are just seen as things to be acquired, which is, uh, it's such a shame. Like, this movie didn't have to be that. No, I mean, what if they had written more lines in for Marion? What if they had given Marion more agency and more yeah. um, ability? Yeah. You know, rather than to just wilt in a slip all the time. Well, maybe we'll get that when we get our Indiana Jones reboot. <laughs> 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 With Karen Allen uh, coming back. Oh, my God. Oh, man. 
let's bring them all back, and you know we're gonna have Har- we're gonna dredge Harrison Ford's dusty old corpse <laughs> <laughs> out to we'll we'll set him up as a marionette and just wiggle him around the stage until <laughs> until movie magic happens. Oh my god! Uh, but yeah, um, so moving on. <laughs> Uh, he he does eventually open the chamber to the Ark of he the does. Covenant. And uh, he falls down into... A, we do find his one vulnerability. Snakes, yeah. Why did it have to be snakes? He's afraid of snakes. And there, here's another animal fact for you guys. I was looking at all the different species of snake in there, and I saw it caught some ball pythons, and I caught some... Uh, I did catch a sand boa, um, and there was a king cobra, and... One of the re- one of the things that really pulled me out as a kid, I had um, those Zoo Lives. I yeah. think is what it was, Zoo Life yeah, magazines. Yeah. Oh, I love that magazine. I, all the bright colors. It was really nice. I used to just scour through them, and I just collected information on animals. Yeah. And so I knew about all these snakes, and I'm like, this isn't the right place for a king cobra. <laughs> this isn't... This is a, a desert tomb that ball python's humidity would have, like, it would have killed him. <laughs> and that's, a, like, to me, that is a really interesting fact. Like, I had no idea. I mean, I, and now looking at them, like, looking at some of those snakes in there, I can just see by the patterns. I'm like, that snake does not belong in this fucking place. Uh, it's just so, so crazy that I'd never noticed that before. And I guess um, you're just more into animals than me. Oh, I was looking at all the horses. I'm just always watching the animals. <laughs> but another fun thing that happens in that scene, because they do have that King Cobra that, like, pops up. Uh-huh. And those things are extremely dangerous. But, like, they, that snake was actually there with the actors, and they, like, put a big old pane of glass mm-hmm. in between them. And you can actually, like, when it strikes uh, Marion later on, I think you can even, like, see it just a little bit uh, in the reflection um, when the lighting is right, which is kind of just fun the way they did that. I don't yeah. know. It's neat. It is neat. That's neat. <laughs> there's some neat things. Like like I said, um, like there's a lot of st- cool stunt work in this movie. Um, oh. Let's, let's move on to stunt work. And my favorite, know. yeah, because right when they get out of this are some of, two of my favorite action scenes in, mo- in most of all action movies. Uh, when they escape that tomb, they, they come out to the airfield where the plane is getting prepped for the Ark of the Covenant to be loaded on and flown to Germany or wherever. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting scene to me. Like, they're trying to, like, basically board this plane, um, but there's, like, the pilot and a mechanic and, like, this huge German Nazi that comes out that wants to fight him. Mm-hmm. It's a big fight scene. Um, you mentioned that you don't really like it all that much. I fall asleep in that point in the movie every single time. Really? Every time. Man. I think it's... Were you asleep just now? I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't. I was just dozing. I was petting your head, but... I don't think you were asleep. I was dozing. Okay, okay. But anyway. But every time I always do, I, I, and I think it's because, like, I just don't care to watch a bunch of dudes fight each other. I get it. I get if you don't, I mean, if it's just not something that's enjoyable. Or interesting. Because, I mean, well, you mentioned that in the movie. Like, when people talk about, oh, it's a chick flick. Like, that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. Yeah. But it's just something you're not interested in. Yeah. And it's the same way for you watching this scene. It's just not interesting to, like you said, just see two grown men, like, wailing on each other. No. And it, But I do love pro wrestling, just a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's high drama. Oh, and that is our dinner in the oven. We will be right back.
right, so where were we? Um, Our that shrug. was a delicious dinner, by the way. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. This is not uh, going to be on the website, but Rachel made some uh, lemon and herb chicken drumsticks that were yeah. really good uh, with some asparagus. Yeah. I've been eating a lot of asparagus recently. Shit's but it's, good. it's delicious, yeah. Um, so yeah, where were we? We were talking about, let's see, I really want to go back to that Nazi monkey, but, no, but we're not no, going to. No, no, no. Oh, I, I remember. We're getting on to the, uh, the fight scene here. Oh, um, right. And why, like, I wasn't super entertained by it. We just kind of <clears throat> talked about that. Yeah. So I want to talk about why I was entertained by this. Okay. And I, I gotta say, so like this scene and the, the truck scene next are both really great. Um... Oh, I think you should talk about my favorite scene, which was the arc scene that burns everybody up. Oh, but that's at the end. We'll get there. That's at the end? Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah, that's, that's the climax of the movie. That's when everybody die. All the bad guys die. Oh. We'll get to that. I love death. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, patience. Okay, okay. Patience, Lord Death of Murder Mountain. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um... <laughs> If you've ever played Fallout New Vegas, listeners, uh, there's a, a little perk you can get called Lord Death of Murder Mountain if you kill a whole ton of things. And uh, Rachel's gotten that a couple times. We, well, no. Well, yeah, I have gotten it a couple times, but we made a character named Soft Serve <laughs> who just killed everything. Yeah. Um, he called it Hugging, though. Hugging, yeah. And so in every town, just everyone dies. I knew it. I was going to um, slip in one of our characters that we made. You, yeah. Oh, God. So anyway, um, yeah, this fight scene. Uh, oh, right. I like the fight scene even more than the truck scene, even though the, the truck scene has better stunts. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But as a, as a constructed scene, I think that the airplane fight is really great. Sure. It's um, tech- like, I have no issues with it technically. I think it's really pretty masterfully choreographed. I think it's pretty, like, an interesting fight scene to watch once or twice in your life. But so, not 18 times. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it enough that I, I know pretty much everything that's happening. So it is like the excitement is lessened. But, and so yeah, I can see your point there. The action scenes might not have the longevity of some other scenes that you can see and experience. Sure. But I do really like this scene because it has uh, a really interesting structure to it. It does. Um I would say that's true. An escalation and like... So one of the things that I don't like about a lot of modern action action movies is that it's just people... Um, mostly just moving very quickly yeah. through something. And a lot of stuff is happening. Right. Because we can do that with technology nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but like one of the things I liked about older action scenes is that there is kind of a turn the tables factor that's like constantly happening yeah. throughout the scene. Where like... Somebody gets the upper hand, and then it shifts back, and so there's like this constant shifting of your emotions along with it, where yeah. you're like simultaneously excited and like, oh no, what's going to happen next? And I think that's what makes a good action scene, is that it kind of yeah. it builds tension. Yeah, it builds tension, and it has a payoff. Yeah, it's almost like its own mini movie in itself, and that it has like acts to it and oh, a yeah. climax and everything. I mean, that's a there's um I don't remember there's a term for that in theater. Yeah. But I can't remember what it's called. We will have to look it up for next time. <laughs> look it <Yeah>. up. <laughs> look it up. But, uh, yeah, if somebody finds that, send it to us, because um, we'll probably forget to look it up. Uh, <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> but, yeah, 
so this scene, you know, it starts with him trying to um, sneak up on uh, somebody, the pilot in the plane, and the mechanic spots him. And so there's a, our first escalation. Yeah, and yeah. And he comes down and has to fight this guy. But we can see off in the distance the big burly German man who, right. like, sees what's going on, and he's, like, a bigger threat that's coming in. So uh-huh. that, like, he is, like, kind of almost rolling in like a storm uh, that you can see off in the distance, and you're like, oh, God, what about that? But Indy doesn't notice, and he's fighting this other guy. Right. Um, he wins that fight, so he's, like, temporarily victorious, and then the big guy shows up, and the pilot notices, and he has a gun, and it's all continuing to escalate just over and over, and things just, like, almost spiral out of control from what should have been a really simple thing to just, like, crawl up on the plane, knock out this pilot, and leave. Sure. Uh, but it just... It gets increasingly, like, desperate and bad. Um, he gets in a fight with this guy who's much bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Um, Marion saves him from from a gunshot, another temporary victory, by, like, knocking out the pilot. Uh, but that causes the plane to start rotating, which is another escalation. Then, you know, she uses the... Or the Nazis see what's going on, and they drive up in a truck full of guys. Another escalation. I know, you don't... Just you back can, and forth and back and forth. You just don't have to recount the entire thing. People have watched this movie. Yeah, but I just, like... I, I'm doing it to prove a point that there is just a... Like, this is a, a fairly short scene. I mean, it's maybe, like, three minutes. But, like, so much happens in it. And so much that you can understand. And, like... Visit, like, explain to people. Yeah, and that's why it is, like, drastically superior to, like, the Avengers movies. Um, you know, like, there's a giant weapon in space. Earth is going to be exploded. Um, like, it's just, it, it, I Hundreds think... Hundreds of villains, and it's, like, yeah, they're it's, all over the place. You can't it's really... It's just think. meaningless. It just yeah. becomes meaningless. And, and there is a lot more meaning in this fight, and that's what makes the payoff so great. Yeah, because um, there are stakes. There's yeah. something to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I, I think that's what makes it a really good scene. Um, yeah. But then, obviously, so the they because the plane is destroyed at the end of that scene because it escalates so far that you know the gas yeah. blows up and everything. Uh, so they put the ark on a truck, and he decides to go after it on a horse. Yeah, I um, love that scene. I love that scene. I do. I don't want to recount every single step of that scene. But no, I, do I like don't. It. I don't either. I mean, there's that awesome stunt where he goes, the guy's <laughs> riding under the truck. Yeah, that is. Which is so cool. It's iconic too. Yeah, what an insane stunt. Yeah. I love the. I like the stunt rider that was um, Harrison Ford's stunt rider. I For that. the horse, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. Um, just a really good rider and like really in good control of the animal, and it just. Rachel grew up riding horses, so she uh, has some some authority on this subject. And I like to ask her when we watch movies like this, like, is that guy know what he's doing? Does that person know what they're doing? And um, You know who's a good writer? Ed Harris. Yeah. He's a good writer. I think I looked it up, and he has, like, a, a, a horse ranch or something. Yeah. We've been watching Westworld, and uh, that comes up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he's a good writer. Yeah. So I, I, and, like, I think those are very solid like technically well executed action scenes yeah. for sure and there like i said no movie is black or white for me like some movies i adore more than others sure um, but you know um that's the shining the shining stars for me too is the stunts in this movie yeah they they have a lot of really fun stunts that do a yeah. lot of really interesting things and they serve a purpose they're not just like on their own yeah, um, exactly. Like, in context, they're, like, more dramatic and more interesting yeah. um, than they were. Uh, 
Yeah, so <laughs> let's get to your favorite part because the um, well, okay, so they take a a, a boat from yeah um, with some Somali pirates with some Somali pirates, yeah, and we were talking about this scene because it there's a lot of some more exposition, some more yeah. pretty boring stuff going on, and Indiana Jones just being creepy. Oh. We talk, he, and whiny. Could we be whiny and she's in that slip and she's like trying to bang him and he falls asleep? <laughs> and I'm just like, is that Indiana Jones failing to perform? And Jordan's like, no. No, he's just exhausted from all the fighting he's been doing in yeah. Canada. You probably never heard of it. <laughs> he joined a fight club. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, he's he's understandably exhausted after the events of what's been going on. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I thought, it, like, if they're not going to put like a romance scene in here or really there this whole movie has a half-hearted romance to it when it should have been a partnership between two very stubborn personalities which would have been interesting they didn't even have to be ex-lovers yeah could have been brother and sister i'm okay with them being ex-lovers i don't not in the creepy way that they framed it but like you know maybe they used to love each other and you know something happened they pissed each other off probably indiana jones's fault and then later on they meet up and you know, maybe they decide they don't want to get back together, but they just want to have a, they want to go on the, they're, they have complementary traits that help on an adventure. And so they go together and I, it would have been more interesting, I think. Yeah, it would have been fine. I mean, I don't, I think the, the ex-lovers thing has been done before. Yeah. But anyway, so the boat gets captured by Germans. Yeah. And again, we have the threat of sexual violence. Yeah. Um, and like, even though... What's the captain's name? Like Matunga or something? He literally is named something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Katunga, maybe? He says um, that they're going to sell her into slavery at the their next port. Yeah. And is, like, creepily smelling her hair. And I'm, you know, I know that he's just trying to, like, save her life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, like... But there's always that overtone. It can't ever be something like, we're going to put her in a textile factory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which would be fucking horrible. Yeah. It couldn't be something like, now she's going to harvest beets in Siberia for the rest of her days. Yeah, like, if that character was a man, like, they would not have said that. And no. maybe it's because in the real world... You probably would, if you're a horrible person, pirate, you probably would sell a woman into sexual slavery. But, like, there can't be anything else going on. It's just boring. I've heard it a million times. What would you do with a, a man? You couldn't sell a man into slavery, could you? I guess you'd throw him in the mines. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Throw He's going to dig us out some of them blood diamonds. Okay, <laughs> there there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... We come to one of your favorite parts. Oh, yeah. Faces, faces of Melton. <laughs> the power of God. Um, Which I like to believe wasn't... I was thinking about it as it was happening, and I was like, what if this isn't God as we understand him? It's God as in the old gods from H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I actually really like that idea. I think maybe we'll have to add that into a role-playing campaign eventually or something. Because that'll be really fun to do, like, some Ark of the Covenant stuff. Sure. Um, but, I mean, again, that just, like, this movie, the subject matter of it is just fun, I think, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in, like, a supernatural way that's known but unknown mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying that the Ark of the Covenant is, like... Did, did I say this on, like, while you were recording? The Ark of the Covenant is, like, the Mormon tablets? 
Oh, yeah. You didn't say that while we were recording, but when we were watching the movie, you mentioned um, that the Ark of the Covenant is like Joseph Smith's golden tablets that he wouldn't show anybody. Yeah, because uh, the... the were pr- supposedly the Book of Mormon. The priests just draped... Like, they put something behind a bunch of drapes, and they're like, don't look upon this, it'll kill you, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's the voice from God, I'm telling you. Yeah, so Rachel mentioned, because I was talking about, she mentioned that, and I'm like, well, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Bible, which it is, but even in the Bible, characters hide it behind things, like you're saying. Yeah, nobody yeah. ever sees it. Like, no, well, I mean, there are parts where they, like, prominently display it in battles and stuff, I guess. Yeah, but... Um, would you actually take the Ark of the Covenant out onto a battlefield? I mean, we're talking about the Bible. I mean, take it up with Moses. I don't know. Uh, All I'm saying is that it may have been a totally true account of some fucking Pharisees who are running a great scam. Yeah. Oh, totally. And uh, but I don't want to get into that debate. Like we can get we could go on that for hours. Well, at a this time. is this is Raiders of the Lost Ark. We've <laughs> got to talk true. a little bit about it. Yeah, it's true. But oh man, and so that the 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 main German bad guy, yeah, not the doctor or whatever, uh, comes up to Belloc, the the French bad guy, uh-huh. and he's like, "I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with this Jewish ritual or whatever." Like, um, I kind of like that that the Nazis <laughs> were portrayed as you know being Jew hating in this movie. They weren't sanitized uh, too much in a way where they're like you know, not actually doing anything horrible other than, oh, we're just the bad guys. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I rarely see Nazis sanitized too, too much in the media. Yeah. Um, but I think that... What do you think about them as being villains in this movie? Like, is Nazis? that... Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, because it seems like such an easy option. Whereas, I mean, like, if you're going to be fighting Nazis, like, yeah, they're bad. We... Uh, whoever's fighting them is good, the end. Like, you don't yeah. have to think too hard. Yeah. And I agree with that 100%. I mean, I trust... I gotta say, I do trust Steven Spielberg as part of the tribe to know what he's doing with that. Sure. But I do also think that, like... We should mention that Rachel is Jewish as well. Um, half. True. Um... But it's on your mother's side, so it's the, the side. So it counts, case. y'all, yeah. <laughs> according to yeah, someone. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm already uh, tattooed, so I'm not going to Jewish heaven. Oh. But anyway. Okay. Abraham's bosom. Yeah. Just out of reach. Just out of reach. I'm on Abraham's, like, hip. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I trust him, like I said, to, to handle Nazis. You yeah. Know, I, I just think that there's so many more interesting conflicts. Yeah. But I can understand where Nazis would be on old Steven's mind. But I just wonder, because, like, it kind of, when, when we're talking earlier about how, in reality, Indiana Jones is a much more complicated character than he's portrayed here. And I think that part of that is because of his villains. Like, his villains are so black and white sure. that it kind of forces us to overlook any flaws that Indiana Jones has. Sure. Which, I mean, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but, like, that's the achieved um goal i think anyway. they, they were attempting to do that yeah yeah like i mean because there are things that we should question about our main character yeah but this just doesn't provide us that opportunity no and it, it, they you know i don't think that it was intended to okay i think it was meant to be simple a simple morality easily consumable 
you know, post-Vietnam snack of a movie. <laughs> okay. But talk about your favorite part with, uh, they open the Ark of the Covenant. The French guy opens yeah. it. He performs the Jewish ritual. And he's wearing like a fucking turban. Yeah, and um, uh, it, it looks like, um, it reminds me of those old, like, Bible cartoons. Yeah. Where the, like, the priests have those, like, jeweled um, breastplates or whatever that yeah. he has in this. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. That's just a, a detail that I like. Um, so he opens the Ark, and the other bad guy is there. The, the previous one that was owned by the monkey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the previous one owned by the monkey? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's the bad guy. He had the monkey owned him. The owned him like what? The monkey like, was an evil monkey and owned him. What do you mean he owned him though? Like he pwned him? Is that what you're saying? No, like oh, monkey, he was owned by that monkey. No, the monkey. I was making a joke about how the I didn't want to say the man owned the monkey. Oh. I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to say the monkey owned the man because you were talking about how it was an evil Nazi monkey. Gotcha, gotcha. It wasn't that funny. I'm sorry, everyone. I apologize. I just didn't get it. If I had gotten it, I would have laughed uproariously. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Maybe next time. Well, anyway, they're looking into this fucking thing, and they open up, and all these ghosts are, like... Yeah. Are, like, swirling around them. Um... And, like, there's a lady ghost. Yeah. And there, is there some stuff that I don't quite understand, but I'm just, like... I'm okay with not understanding it. Oh, I am, too. I think that that's... I think that's what a lot of our modern movies are missing. Yeah. Is just letting things be mysterious. Yeah, because that makes it a little more threatening. Mm-hmm. Like, as an object of, like, Fuck unspeakable yeah. power, as they describe it. Yeah, and, like, what is it? Is yeah. it really God? Is it... <laughs> what is this? Yeah, it is... That, and I think that helps the closing scene, like, when the credits are rolling, when they, like, lock it away in a, like, a big warehouse. old warehouse somewhere, just amongst a bunch of identically marked crates. Like, that makes it yeah. a little more, like, fun to think about after the movie. It leaves you with a feeling of sure. kind of like, oh, it's still out there type of thing. Yeah. And also, but also, like, um, what if those are all Arcs of the Covenant? <laughs> That's like, wow you know what i've never thought that what a, that would be an interesting thing if they like cool. pop them open and they've just been finding these arcs of the covenant all over the place just thousands of they them. were left behind millennia ago by an alien civilization and it's just uh waiting for pandora to open the box and kill it kill everyone yeah <laughs> but don't worry you can save yourself if you don't look at it just don't look at don't it. look That's at what it he says you'll be turned into a pillar of who knows what spice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh man um, um so anyway my favorite thing thing about this scene is um i guess it's stop motion it's like the model i think so yeah. uh i'm not quite sure how they do it but it's really cool yeah, I just love the face melting off because I hate both of those dudes. Oh, yeah, they're unspeakably evil. They are, and they're they're pretty hateable, which is good because sometimes I get bored. Like, I didn't hate Dr. Doom. I understood yeah. his reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, oh, so this brings me... So one of your favorite characters in this movie is that German doctor, right? The torturer guy, I think. No, I wouldn't say my favorite character. Okay, well, anyway... A character that I noticed. A character you notice and remember... That's good enough. Uh, I want to rewind real quick because we were talking during the movie about this expression that he says that makes no sense. Remember when he walks into the tent where Marion is kidnapped? Mm-hmm. And he's like, 
he sees her in the dress that uh, Belloc gave her, and they're yeah. like both drunk or whatever. And he walks in and he says, "You Americans always overdressing for the wrong occasions." I know. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't. Is that a is that an outdated thing? Like there are plenty of things to judge Americans on and to like you know all oh, you Americans and your consumer greed or something like yeah, that. Yeah, anything really. Any, I mean, there's a million things you criticize. You for. Americans and your overbloated military and non-existent healthcare. Well, this movie's set in '36, so you know it's a little different, but. Yeah. But still, like, always overdressing for the wrong occasions? I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that I've is? I've never heard of Americans, at, like, reputation as overdressing. I've heard our reputation for underdressing. Like, people will go to Italy, <laughs> and the Italians will be like, look at those fucking fat Americans with their tennis shoes. Why is he wearing bike shorts and a propeller hat? Get him the fuck out of here. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Um, but yeah, like, that... I'd never noticed that line before, and you pointed it out to me. Because I was baffled by it. Yeah, I. but I mean, we've watched this movie before and never mm-hmm. noticed that. It's just a weird line. Who it wrote it, and why, what was the purpose of it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, those people get melted. I love that it. That kind of scarred me for a little while when I was kid. young. Yeah, it really scared me really bad. I liked um, it. Just like... I don't know, flesh melting is just, like, one of those things that gets to me, I guess. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I think I remember my cousin being really scared by it. Yeah. But I liked it. I always thought it was cool. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think, was there anything else you really want to say about the movie? You know what, let's give a, just kind of wrap it up and then tell me if you think this movie is a disaster or not. Um, it, you know... It began with bureaucracy and ended with bureaucracy. <laughs> oh, man, it uh, kind of did, yeah. It is... Would I recommend it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. It's fine. Yeah. I guess I would. Um, that being said, I would recommend that, you know, you pay attention to the problems that it has. Like, you should with all... Everything that you consume, every piece of media you consume, you should examine it from all angles. I mean... So I think that 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 my little sermon over, um, you know, it's worth watching. It's got a lot of cool stunts. I think that it's, it's got problems. I think that it's worth talking about this movie in sure. that context because, like, I think it's important that we don't, you know, idolize or put on a pedestal like certain things that, um, you know, it's okay to to like them and admire them, but sure. it's not okay to worship them or idolize them. Like some right. things. It needs to be acknowledged that some things have problems or else there's no way to move forward. It doesn't mean this thing is bad and this should be destroyed. Um, I mean, so, but what I'm saying is I really love this movie. I still really like it. I know why other people don't like it or other people aren't as excited by it as me. And that is totally fine. Um, Yeah, you're going to do us all a big favor and not threaten to kill us in our homes. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. It's, there's no problem with not enjoying Indiana Jones. Uh, I enjoy Indiana Jones. The end. That's it. Yeah. It has problems, but I still like it. It could be better. If I never watched it again, I wouldn't be sad, but. I don't know if I would be sad or not. I think I would be sad. I think there will be a time in the future where I'll be like, oh, I want to, I want to see that again. Yeah. If only for nostalgia's sake. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I like the way that movie makes me feel. 
I can understand why it doesn't make other people feel the same way. But I want to repeat that feeling. That's good enough for me. I'm going to say that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, yes, a thousand thumbs yeah. up. Oh, man. Draw a circle of dicks around it, men. <laughs> Protected with all your might. <laughs> Don't let them in here. Don't let them in our safe space. Don't let them in here. Yeah. Oh, man, we're bad. Bar the doors from those women and people of color. Oh, my God. They're going to come in here and they're going to want to make <laughs> Batman gay or something. What are we going to do? Oh, read the comic. That sounds interesting to me. I'd, I would read that for I'd sure. I'd love to see a gay Batman. Man, yeah, that'd be... There you go. Write to Jeff Johns and he'll, uh, he'll, he'll do it for you. Hey, Jeff. Can we have a gay Batman? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> We've descended again. Yeah. Um, uh, it was really fun, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, our very second podcast. I had a really great time. We're enjoying doing this. Uh, I don't care if anybody listens or not. It's just fun. Other people should do it, too. Um, we are now on Apple Podcasts, so you guys should check us out there if you uh, can. Or you can keep listening to us here on anchor.fm slash recipe for disaster. We have an email address now if you want to send us anything. Um, it is recipe for disaster show at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any uh, constructive criticism or just want to say, hey, we're here to hear what you have to say. And Jordan will be the filter for that. So if anybody <laughs> wants to write in and is just like, hey, you beta cook, tell your wife that <laughs> she's a stupid slit and we're going we're gonna to come to her house and sell her to the circus. Oh, I would totally tell you, like immediately. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> um, I'm going to yeah. get a capuchin monkey to read the emails <laughs> since they're so self-aware. <laughs> just not that Nazi monkey. I don't want that monkey in our house. Not welcome. Uh, but yeah, if uh, you guys want to leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. If you leave a five-star review, we'll actually read it on air and respond to it, no matter what it says. Wow, that is bribery, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I hear other people do it. I don't, I don't feel so bad. It's not okay. my idea. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, and uh, you know, have a great day. Have a great rest of your week. Bye. Bye.